get it going. It's time to get up. We're our Bucks fans. Uh, this is Yanis, uh, the Greek freak. I'm excited for today. And here comes Showtime. Adeta Kumbo with the hammer. These guys are here to break it all down. You know, the side they're focused on, obviously hammering out the protocols, but also being nimble here and, and reacting to what COVID gives them because ultimately that's that's kind of driving the bus. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Some people listen to music in the morning. I listen to you guys. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Ed Jovanovski uh, always with us on a Wednesday morning. Some people listen to music. They listen to us. We hope you're doing the same. And a happy Wednesday morning to you, everybody. Perry Solkowski along with Vic Nazar on this hump day as we count down to the holiday season. Vic, my man, how are you this morning? Oh, feeling good. Day three, still waking up on time. It's great. Well, you know, you'll be up early on the weekend to catch everything, and then you'll, you'll be you'll be settled to go. Here's 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 the thing: you you get into that routine, right? Like by day three, like tomorrow, you're going to be fresh as a daisy, and you've you've been. I, what time are you waking up? Like, what is your call here to get ready for this show to sound bright and sunshine full and, at six a.m. Four forty-five. And you're a coffee guy. Oh yeah, I got it going right now. Four forty-five. Get ready to go. See, having green tea just didn't help the cause. I, 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 yeah, I've, I've always been the green tea guy. Uh, it doesn't give me anything. I've, I've never, never in my life have I been a guy that has woken up and considering I've done this job, but a lot of my jobs have been early and late. I've never been a coffee guy. Like I can honestly say someone offering me a cup of coffee, of black coffee, I've never had in my life. Now I've had coffee with a lot of booze in it, but no, I've never had a coffee. I am that guy. That does not survive on coffee. Never had it. My wife drinks it. Everybody drinks it. I don't touch it. I uh, I, I, I have a complicated history with, with coffee because I used to do a morning show uh, in my small town radio days, and I would uh, pound back a whole pot. But mm. uh, yeah, it's just moving back. It's infrequent. But uh, you know, when, when I'm an early riser with you, I dip back into it. So what it this does bring me is the uh, disappointment and all the confusion. Like I've never went through the drive through a double double. Like, and when I do right. go through the drive through and I'm going and they can get a coffee and my, my daughter is blah, 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 blah. Like I apologize when I order a coffee for my daughter going, really? You're doing that to these people? Can't you just have a coffee? She goes, no, they'll understand what I'm talking about. So I don't understand all the vernacular that goes with ordering coffee in a Tim Hortons and or a Starbucks. The grande misto with oat milk. Yes. 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 Like uh, those people. Like next to, you know, what surgeons and aeronautical engineers, I let, I put a Starbucks barista sometimes. I go, wow, how do you know all that? I don't know. I just, I just think like a daughter, a friend of mine's daughter works at Starbucks. I go, you've got the toughest job of anybody here. 20 people, like, you're a barista at Starbucks. How do you understand all that stuff? It's like learning an um, uh, offensive playbook in the NFL. It's like, oh, this audible and this means this and this means that. Uh, you pick smarter, it up. Smarter than you think. I'll tell you what I, I found subliminal messaging yesterday because we were talking what's coming on the show. And, and Ron Toigo will be on the show at, at uh, 8 o'clock today. We'll talk about the Giants of Western Hockey League. They've had to pull back on their start date. But we knew that. That was our plan. And I think at about 1 or 2, Mike English, our producer, confirmed, hey, Toigo's coming on. And I don't know why, but at about 5 o'clock yesterday, as dinner time is coming, we're thinking, oh, what should we have for dinner? All of a sudden, you know what we should have is white spot. 
<laughs> right? And I'm just thinking as I'm as as place the order, I'm driving to pick it up, and you and I are in the same area. So we're driving down to Coquitlam. I'm driving to pick it up, and I'm thinking, well, I wonder if that was subliminal messaging. And then later on, after we got too much white spot and it was delicious, and I still might think there might be a, a fry or two in the fridge. Last night I'm thinking and go, gosh, you know what I just did last night eating all that? I went full James Harden. I went full, <laughs> I, I went full James Harden. Man, did you see him? Like when we get hockey going again, there has to be the odd athlete that will show up at camp. Hope it's not Jake for Tannen, but you're gonna go, geez, did you did you hit workouts at all? Goes Vic, man, you love your ball. James Harden, unless the camera wasn't working for him last night. My goodness gracious. If uh, you're trending towards James Harden, then uh, I, I weep for the day where you request a trade off of this. I mean, you know, maybe by Friday you're like, I can't work with that bit guy anymore. I'm demanding a trade out here. But yeah, look, the, the old adage, camera adds 10 pounds. There were a lot of cameras on James Harden yesterday. Yeah, nothing hardened about James' body in no. showing up to camp. But you're right. Hmm. So you're thinking of making a big deal. Yeah, he looks like a guy who's committed to my team. It's it's so weird too because he played in the in the bubble. It, it, it's not as if he's one of these teams that's been off since March, right? Same thing with the NHL. There's a handful of teams that didn't get invited to the bubble. Seven of them. Uh, you worry about those teams because it's been nine months now. Uh, same thing for the NBA. He played. It, it's uh, I, I yeah man, to, to fall out of that kind of shape that quickly is stunning. Well, listen, I, I'd be curious, and Drew Doughty is the ultimate professional, but Drew Doughty is one of those guys who, even at the best of times, you go, hmm, man, that just guy is, is just natural and can play. I don't know it's about the hard work. Uh, you know, he hasn't played since March, you wonder. But, yeah, James Harden, to, to have played as he did in the bubble and then kind of let it go that much, like, holy shake jack. Like, what have you just been doing? Nothing? <laughs> just shooting threes? So uh, Harden gets, gets it done. Um I want to mention too, hey, how about the NBA? I, I loved, and we won't get into a whole bunch, but when you see the numbers that were thrown around in the max deal for Giannis Antetokounmpo, I love, uh, listen, I love the success stories. I'm not big on the big cities being champions. I didn't mind the LA Dodgers. They've been sitting around for a while. Time to give them theirs. They've been spending money. But I do love the story of Giannis. And going, you know what? In a small town, Milwaukee, I'm not going to chase the money. I can get the money here. And I don't need the limelights. I don't need the billboards. I'll get it if I want it. I'm going to sit here in Milwaukee. Man, right now, to be a Packers fan, to be a Bucks fan, I love the small town story and what he decided yesterday. Yeah, especially with the NBA, I, th I just think the world is a smaller place now. And you can be a star anywhere. No longer do you have to run to New York or Chicago or uh, the Lakers. You can kind of be a star anywhere, right? P fans can access you easier than ever with social media and Instagram. Like he broke the news on Instagram and Twitter. It's different than it was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you're able to find your sponsorships differently nowadays. Well, you can, you can still get lost in those big cities, right? For sure. If you want more, of course. You know, LeBron wanted to make movies. It's easier to do it in Los Angeles than it is Cleveland. It, it, you can absolutely stand to benefit from it. But the, the old thing was, well, if you want to sell more sneakers – you got to be able to live in New York or L.A. You don't need to do that anymore. He's going to be one of the highest grossing athletes off the court, uh, and he's in Milwaukee. You know, it was interesting, um, and you, you think about it, and I'll compare a couple of things here with Giannis. Giannis would not be able to leave his door 
without, you know, everybody's got to talk to him. But, you know, in a small town, they would go, well, that's just Giannis. You just say hi to him. He's very polite. He says hi back is good enough. Uh, I'll, I'll take two two frames of reference here. I love during the Super Bowl, and you would have read everything in the stories when we were getting set last year, the story that had come up about Patrick Mahomes being in a small pizzeria in Kansas City uh, with his then fiance, now wife Brittany. And they were having pizza, had a nice dinner. And I think as per usual, if you're there, you're looking over. I think that's Patrick Mahomes. They had their dinner. And as he left, as they left, he stopped and said, thank you very much for nobody interrupting us. Um, I have a great meal. It's on me. And he had gone to the cash register and said, hey, everybody's bill. Just give it to me right now. I go, man, that's that's the Pat Mahomes went even. I guess Patrick, sorry, Mahomes went even higher up. I go, man, that's great. Goes to Kansas City, didn't see it. I think for a part, that was Wayne Gretzky in Edmonton, where he just knew he was going to be there. And I'll take this to something different. I remember having a conversation with former Vancouver Whitecap YP Lee, a massive, massive star back in Korea, who would just kind of hang out. Although if he went to the Korean community in Vancouver, everyone would be over him. But really, for the most part, you know, did his own. And I remember getting into a conversation. I said, okay, so we're in Seoul, Korea, you and I, and we walked down Main Street. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> what? There's no no, you can't. I go, really? He goes, oh, no, as soon as we get out of the hotel, people are there. And that's what he he enjoyed, that part of life in Vancouver. So Giannis, anywhere he goes, but I love the fact that he said, hey, I love your small town. I'll put on the jersey. I'm going to rep it for a long time. Thanks for the money. Let's see if we can win and bring a championship here. I love that story that you can compare with him making that sign. Yeah, for, for some guys, you can't buy – that anonymous feeling, right? It's you want to be able to fade into your city sometimes. And marrying the market, uh, no player has ever, uh, you know, uh, thought that this was a bad idea, especially when the, the the city itself wants to embrace you as much as they do. Yeah, um, Corey Hirsch is going to join us in a couple of minutes. Here, we'll get into things with Hershey. Uh, you know, so, uh, a new funky name in Florida with a. A, a center of excellence as far as goaltending is concerned. We'll get into it. Is that any different from what other teams do and all things Vancouver Connects with Hershey in a couple of minutes? Uh, you heard Ed Jovanovski in the opening. He doesn't listen to the radio. He listens to us. We'll join Eddie uh, at 7 o'clock, go down to Florida, talk all things hockey with him. 7.30, Ken Polisi joins us. That Mr. Fixit of Dunbar Lumber. Ken, a great guy. Of course, a Stanley Cup winner. We're going to get into how things will be different for some guys and how they need to accept more. And as I mentioned earlier, Ron Toigo, is uh, going to join join us. So uh, we'll talk all things Western Hockey League as, boy, there's a bunch of kids. We're going to get set to watch the best in junior as they play the World Juniors, but then what? They had hoped in January they've had to push that back. At some point, there's got to be a drop deadline. February's going to roll around and go, wow, are they going to play for a couple of months? Uh, we'll get into all those details. But it is 6.10. We Welcome, Corey Hirsch, who was up early this morning. I saw retweeting about milk in plastic bags, Hershey. Those were the good old days, hey? They sure were, and I, I don't think anybody remembers but me and you, Perry. Vic, <laughs> are coming? you on that line? Vic, can you remember? I, yes, I do remember milk and bag. And now, a very, very short time period for me. Uh, but I do recall having milk and bags at the house as a kid. How was that a good idea? Like, how yeah. did that make sense? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I remember there used to be a saying, um, and it used to be like, uh, uh, Dougie Waite used to call me bag of milk. <laughs> and I'll tell you, because if you've ever seen me, I, I don't tan very well. So he used to call yeah. me milk bag. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I'm going to sense Dougie if you were called bag of milk, it wasn't because hey, you were. Bag. 
Yeah, milk bag. Yeah, that didn't mean that muscle and fitness was about to call you for a cover shoot if you're called milk. Uh, nope, that was uh, that's the benefits of not being able to tan. But I'm I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, and this is a true story. Uh, my wife and I had we just got married or were engaged, and we saw for sale a uh, like a milk run, like you know there were milkmen before, and yeah. it was in Kelowna and the outskirts. And I actually started kicking the tires, thinking. Could that not be the greatest job to actually kind of like be a mailman? Like if we went there, hun, we want, we love the Okanagan and we have a couple of milk trucks and I just drive to houses and drop off milk. You know what? That would be a great uh, uh, thing, except for, you know, historically everyone's like, uh, are you the milkman's child? That's what people used to ask me because I'm a redhead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I look nothing like my brother or my parents. So, you know, yeah. there's issues with that, right? No, and to think about my time back then, I probably would have thought, hey, well, I, you know, it's complimentary. Yeah, I, I, I think I made the right choice, but we're actually friends bring it up. Remember when you were talking about being a milkman? Right. Like that's just the job that went out the window. Now that, now that's, you know, I guess, uh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking a lot about milk right now. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, it's a, it's a slow time. Milk and cookies. Santa is coming, everybody. Uh, Hershey, let me ask you. Times change. We're right dealing with milkman. Um, there's a new wording in Florida. Roberto Luongo's a part of it. Francois Liars a part of it. It's the Florida Panthers goaltending excellence department. Is that just some great PR spin to go? Here's what we'll call it. Or are they doing anything new in Florida this year as far as their goalies? Uh, I can't, I can't say that they're doing anything new. Um, I, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but it's just a fancy term and spin on goaltending. I think, you know, everybody, everybody, even the Vancouver Canucks have a, a goaltending of excellence department, right? I mean, they've got, they've got a couple of guys, they've got a scout, they've got, uh, you know, so it's kind of a fancy term, just a Florida's goaltending. It'll, it'll be better. I mean, I, I can't see why it wouldn't hurt. I mean, it's got to help, right? Because goaltending is such a big part of the game and it's such a, it's not like any other sport, you know, like football quarterback still, you know, they're still can block. They're still doing other things. You know, basketball, you don't really have a goalie, you know, you or you don't baseball, you, you don't, right. It's but the only thing I can think of is maybe a catcher in baseball, but it's such a unique position and there's no other team sport that has a completely different position like that. So historically it's been left by the wayside. Coaches would just say, Hey, just shut up and stop the puck. Right. Cause they didn't know what to, what, they didn't know what to say about it. Uh, so it's necessary. Um, but, uh, it's just another fancy term on what other teams are doing, in my opinion. But it, it's got to be nice to see, right? Because you're you're the part of the Goldie Union, right? You, you guys you know, stick yeah. up for each other, and, oh, yeah. and and you always want to see progress. This is good that we've seen this now a couple of teams. You know, the Canucks kind of did it with a few years ago with dedicating resources to figuring this position out because it, it is so important, and it feels like it's never been taken as seriously as it should. We all applaud goaltending when it's there, but we're quick to criticize too. Here, here's the thing, and, and you know me, so I'm going to turn this into a mental health conversation. Um, the it's it's all between the years eventually, anyways. It's like you can teach all these goalies are athletic, they're talented, um, but you know where it, it's goaltending is such a mental position, it's such a thinking position that you can do all the the physical stuff you want, you can put together all the all the um, you know great goalies or whatever together it boils down to you need 
somebody to be able to talk to them. And a lot of these teams don't have that, <laughs> which is fascinating to me. If you know, everyone agrees that it's 80% mental uh, goaltending, 20% physical, ask any goalie, ask any goalie expert yet. Nobody really hires anybody uh, that knows what these guys are going through, what, what they can talk about. That's why former goalies end up goalie coaches at other GMs just kind of go, Hey, you take care of it. When you were a bag of milk and starting your career, <laughs> that's I'm going to regret that. No, that's, that's okay. Let, trust me, I'm a couple bags of milk right now. Um, <laughs> did you have like the, there was no goalie coach back then, Hershey? Were there in the early nineties? Well, like, who I, did you lean on to? Like, did you talk much with your other goalie partners in the NHL? Always, that, yeah. Those were the yeah. guys you talked to. Uh, the guy I had uh, had Bob Froze in New York. Bob Froze was, uh, but he was again more. Uh, just a guy I would talk to, uh, not really goalie training specific. And then when I came to Vancouver, I had Glenn Hanlon, but Glenn Hanlon wanted to be a head coach, right? I mean, that was his, and he wanted to be an assistant coach. So he had other duties and more things that he wanted to do, but he still spent some time with me. My first real goalie coach would have been in Nashville when I had Mitch Korn. Um, and if I didn't meet Mitch, I'd have been out of the game much sooner because goaltending changed, right? It changed to the butterfly style. So Mitch kind of taught me that. And I was the old school Kirk McLean stand up, but like, like Kirk and Billy Ranford and those guys, it was it was kind of too late for them, right? Like they were it, it, to to change. I had to when I was 26, 27, I had to completely change uh, my style. So I did, uh, and I probably squeezed another seven or eight more years pro out of it, uh, getting paid. So that was a good thing. But if I don't meet Mitch Corn, that probably doesn't happen. Corey Hirsch joining us, uh, longtime NHL goalie, and also. Uh, you can hear him on Sportsnet 650. When the Canucks do resume, uh, call our commentator. Uh, we are asking Hirsch uh, on our poll question day, which Canuck player do you hope has a breakout year? Uh, on our poll question, we got Demko, part of that goal union, got it, Yule Levy, and McEwen. Uh, you have the benefit of not talking on Twitter here, so we'll extend it to beyond just these four players, but... Who is who? Who is your breakout player this year for the yeah, I you know what I I I think Thatcher Demko's ready, uh, and that's probably the easy pick, really. If you if you really look at it, I think that playoff experience is going to help give him some confidence that he knows that he can do that. Right? It just you get better, and you and, and now all of a sudden you go from a guy that's going, yeah, I only play every once in a while. Can I play in the league? You know, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. To doing what he did. Now you have that confidence that you can do that. Will he do that night after night? Probably not. He's going to have some bad games, right? We can't expect him to do that every night. But um, I expect him to have a, a fantastic year. But, it, you know, it's it's going to be quick. Like, you got to start quick. It's going to be 56 games, if that. Uh, they're going to have to be ready to go right off the start. Well, and let's point to this. I mean, you just said what young goalies and what it's all about is is between the years. Yeah. Is that Absolutely. where Demko shows a strength where you go, hey, everything he says, it sounds like between the years, he has what it takes when he puts on the equipment. Yeah, this guy's won at every level he's been at from when he was a, a kid. So uh, I definitely think that, that he's a guy that can do it. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's quiet. He's a little bit, um, he doesn't doesn't speak much, doesn't say much. He's pretty quiet. But as far as... Um, you know that type of ability. I think he has it, but you need you need the help. You need you need you need someone to guide you along the way. So hopefully he gets out of Vancouver. It's funny um, you say Thatcher Demko, but a lot of people up early this morning talking about the Canucks. And if I look at this question as which Canuck player do you hope has a breakout year? The biggest void to me on this team, as we get set for them to take to the ice next month, is boy, what do you got on the right side? 
Like who's who's on the right side to do something other than Brock Besser? And if I'm going, I can hope that a guy has a breakout year. I think there's a lot of people who just forgot that in some really key games last year down the road, Zach McEwen was like an energy energy bunny there. Zach yeah. McEwen had a couple of goals. Like I'm just going, I don't know if that's real, but if I get a chance to take some little magic dust and put it on a player and say, yeah. oh, Zach McEwen, you're going to find 18 goals. You're going to find 10 fights, and you're going to be a regular NHL and be a breakout player. I'm looking at Zach McEwen and go, thank you. We could use that on the right side. Yeah, well, and that's where Jake Furtanen's going to have some competition, right? I think Zach McEwen's ready to say. I wish they would have played him a little bit more last year in the playoffs. But, um, you know, he, you're right. He's ready to take a step, and hopefully he's a guy that, that can do it. Um, he, he's a gamer too, right? Like he, he'll fight. He'll get in there. He gets dirty. He gets aggressive. So you need that guy in your lineup that wants to be there. So I, I, I still don't think he's – I don't, I still on the right side. I still don't think they have, you know, they need one more guy. They need, they, you know, they had to Foley, but they, they need another guy. The Zach McEwen and Jake Vertanen, God love them and they're great players. And I love them both because they're good people. Um, but they need a high end talented right winger. Is this going to happen this year? I don't know. They'll probably wait and see how the season it gets going. And if they have a chance, they think they have a chance to make a run at it. They'll, they'll make a deal to get it done. I, I do look at these four names, and, and McEwen's the interesting one because it's it's what I clicked on here on Twitter, so it's uh, it's officially my vote. But uh, of these four guys, it just feels like he's got the highest upside here, right? Like, God, it's not that he is limited, but as far as upward mobility, like there's Pedersen and Horvat in front of him, right? Demko, he's he's going to be battling with Holpe with a shortened season. They're going to be splitting time. Yule Levy, it's Schmidt and Myers ahead of him. McEwen, it's like it is kind of all in front of you that if you want to, if if he tapped into his potential, not not that he's going to take full time status away from Brock Besser or anything like that. It's just you can go up and down that lineup on that right side because there is so much space. Yeah, you can play him. You can play him anywhere. But but let's be honest. If if you want to be a Stanley Cup contender, I mean, you need a high high end right winger on that side, and that's not Zach. McEwen. He's never going to be that. And that's okay, right? I mean, that, that's okay. You can, he's going to be a great player. I like him as a third-line right winger. Adam Gaudet's going to be stuck behind those two guys forever. So um, is Adam Gaudet become expendable? Probably, right? Like Adam Gaudet want, probably wants to be a top two-line center, but can he do it? I, I, I don't know that yet. I didn't think in the playoffs he was that great. I think he can play a lot better than what he did, but I thought he played safe in the playoffs, right? Which – which helped his team. I thought he was good, but I just I expect more out of Adam Goddard. Okay. Why do you, if you look at Zach McEwen, most improved player, most improved player, two years running, he wins that in Utica, comes up, has, a, you know, let's, let's say a cup of coffee um, with the Canucks, shows energy, shows a couple of goals, and you're going, there's no way it's going to happen. You know, look what the Habs did for Josh Sanderson. Is that AHL, AHL, AHL? Here he is, big, can score. Uh, Are you certain that there's no way Josh McKeon goes, hey, what a great story. Alex Burroughs found a spot from the AHL. Like, is there not right place, right time? I sure hope so, right? We all do. Uh, You know, I I cheer for Zach McKeon. He's, um, uh, you really do hope that he turns into a player like that. I, I, um, I, I don't think it'll happen uh i think i still see him as a third fourth line but i mean we've seen that happen many times guys get pegged in a uh, by other people and and they end up being a top two like burrows right who would have expected that so yes mm-hmm. it can happen i hope it does 
Um, but I still think the Canucks are going to need a high-end right winger. They still haven't found anyone to play with Horvat that can play at that level. We'll wait and see. Oli Olevi, by the way, is uh, leading the poll, which, yeah, if you can find a defenseman and they didn't use the high pick and he ever comes through, that will uh, certainly be something yeah. that benefits this team. And I don't, I got to think Oli Olevi, uh, he's not going to be Hughes, right? So I hope people don't expect that. He's not that type of player, but he's a guy that, that could be, you know, very serviceable on the back end uh, for years to come if he can stay healthy. Well, you you got a guy in number 23 and go, you know what? A lot, a lot was expected of Alex Hedler, and he's hung out as long as he can. If you can get yep. anywhere near to that, that's a massive win in what people thought, oh, gosh, we got that one wrong. Uh, thank you, Hershey. Appreciate it, bud. Uh, stay no safe. No worries, man. Will do. Thanks, gentlemen. Have a good one. Ciao. Uh, there he is, uh, Corey Hirsch, joining us, who is the most improved. Who do you want to step up for the Vancouver Canucks this year? Uh, check out our poll question that's hopping this morning. Everyone wondering what it is. Uh, Bick, when we come back, uh, what are they talking about now in the NHL? Are they getting these negotiations down to the while? We'll get into that and what the players are going to face as a challenge when they do get back onto the ice. That's all ahead on a gorgeous Wednesday morning in the home of hockey sports at 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with Jim Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Vic, is it just me or do you feel we should always welcome people to the jungle? <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly how you feel it. it uh, there are certain songs that send uh, sends you to a place, and that's one. Well, listen, and credit to Jim Rome and what he's done. From uh, taking on an NFL quarterback to having music in the world of sports radio, where you hear it, you go, oh, yeah, 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 that's what time it is. It is uh, 6.30, and what's a very nice morning. Going to get up to 9 today. We were supposed to have rain all week long. I know in these parts it's not raining. It was a nice evening last night, so get out there and enjoy it. If you can't, Perry Solkowski along with Vic Desire who's here. Zabalski with the uh, week off. Um, you know, the one thing we talked about when we started this week, okay, we need to have a deal. We need players to be coming in. We kind of looked at Thursday as the day where most players would have to be around to get in, to quarantine, to make that January 3rd date, Vic. And good or bad, um, you know what? There's a whole lot of negotiating going on right now with not anything. Yep, we're good to go. January 3rd is is going to be the day camp starts. We're not there yet. No, many hurdles still to clear and, you know, COVID protocols and AHL teams and per diems for AHL players, taxi squads. It's a lot of things to clear. And, and we got to be mentioning this week. It's okay. We're, we're getting close to a deadline for when you have to solve this all because you need quarantine periods. You want to get training camps going January 1st, January 3rd, January 5th, and around that time. Uh, you need to get it done this week if, if you want to fulfill a two-week quarantine period. And in, in saying that, it's just the good thing is that everything kind of feels quiet on the Western front right now where it's everyone's you know hard at work, not a lot of leaks, and that's kind of what you want at this stage. You want everyone that's working on these problems to be working on the problems and not talking necessarily talking to guys like us. Well, and I, I think last week uh, for most fans and we, when you heard that they kind of had removed the financial barrier of how much are you giving back, it was, all right, there it is. They've, they've moved that giant boulder out of the way, but what it does take is, yeah, okay, that's moved. They're not going to get into it, 
But the fact is where we are in society right now, there's a lot of safety protocols that have to take place. A lot of things have to be talked about. Chris Johnson uh, was talking about it. Our sports and Chris Johnson, hockey insider about where we are right now. Here it is Wednesday. They're talking, but are we enter closer to saying, here we go. Drop the puck in January 13th. A lot of the last, you know, four or five days here have just been back and forth on all the protocols governing this. I don't know what the specific rules are going to be, but I do think because of what you're referencing there, Justin, that, you know, while it's still the preference of the owners and players to start with games in each of their own arenas, I think that as time goes along, there's an understanding that they might still have to start in regional hubs or bubbles, whatever you want to call it. That, that, you know, one of the ways to, to maybe navigate this period where things appear to be getting worse rather than better is, is to, you know, is to have that, that bubble format. So, you know, nothing's been decided or, or committed to as far as I know in that regard. But I, I do think that there, there seems to be some, some thought out there that, you know, that they probably won't be starting the season uh, in, each, in their own arenas. But, you know, as we saw back in the, in the, the springtime, early summer there, you know, the NHL waited to the last minute before committing. I think you'll see something similar. You know, I've heard some talk. We might not see uh, an official schedule of any sort until into early January, which is pretty short timing given that, you know, we might have games on January 13th, uh, give, you know, given where the talk is at. And, you know, I think that, that you know, the, the sides are focused on obviously hammering out the protocols, but also being nimble here and, and reacting to what COVID gives them because ultimately that's, that's kind of driving the bus. It's like the NHL headlines should just be, we're not sure. We're not sure. We had Adrian Dater on earlier this week on Monday. Uh, he had tweeted out yesterday, Bick, that no, everyone will play in their own arena. Well, you know, at the end of the day, we're not sure. How can you decide where you're going to play uh, when you don't know what you're dealing with out there? Every day, the one stats everyone looks at is, hey, which province, which state is where as far as COVID-19 is concerned? And and this isn't different than any any other business, right? You ask any business owner right now, it's like, hey, what do you think your business is going to look like in February? And it's like, February? I, I'm not even sure what it's going to look like in two weeks. It's a tough reality. And there's, you know, hockey fans that are demanding certainty in a very uncertain time. And, and like, a big takeaway for me, just hearing CJ there, it's you know, players might be learning about the schedule pretty late. It, it could be January 9th, January 10th, and you want to start up by January 20th, and you're just finding out, okay, here's our back-to-back in Toronto, and then we're off to Montreal for a game, and then back home. It, it's uh, it's going to be a quick turnaround here, considering how late we are in the whole process. And and players are creatures of, of routines. Yep. yep. Um, you, you know, when I travel for three years with the Canucks, you know, even as a, a young family that I had at that time, you would wait for the end of the month and then through the team, you would get, hey, here's the schedule. Now, not the schedule as in, no, I knew that, you know, they were playing Chicago on a Wednesday night and and then you're going to Nashville the next night. But it's okay. Here's, here's when you're practicing. Here's when you're not practicing. Here's going to be a team day off. Here's where we're staying. Right. All those things. So you, you take an NHL player who's, you know, with his wife and his family, you're going, okay, we're heading to Vancouver. When's the season start? I'm not sure. What's it going to be like? So there's those adjustments that are, are outside of the three hours we watched them play a game against against Calgary. So with that in mind, let, let's hear from Nick Kiprios because routine, right? You can play. You can be in good shape. You can ride the bike. You can do whatever and be ready to go. But he was saying when they do start, as Corey Hirsch talks about all the time, mental challenge. 
it'll be a challenge for some of these guys mentally. Physically, I think it's going to be fine. I think we saw in the return to play uh, the first time uh, that at times uh, it was spectacular and other times it lacked consistency. And I think we'll pretty much see the same thing in, in January that these guys are great athletes, uh, they're great hockey players, but there's going to be some lulls in what we see. And uh, this won't be any different starting uh, second week in January. And Bick, I said this when they went into the bubble, not that it would be a big advantage, but you know who can adjust to all those things I just talked about and the calendar and what's it going to look like? Guys who don't have anything to do other than play hockey. Lash Pedersen's gone, how am I killing my time? You know, Bo, Bo Horvat's different now, right? He's become a father. He's married. But you've got some kids here. Quinn Hughes go, oh, what am I going to do now? Right? You know, Nate Schmidt, okay, we're ready to go play. So if you get into a different situation, you've got a lot of young kids. Kids are the ones who adjust. That's why parents move. Well, we're going to move because the kids are young. All right, Travis Green tells the guys, hey, guys, just be ready to roll with whatever happens. If your star players are really young, I think that's a positive for the Canucks. For sure. And, you know, Pedersen's busy on Twitch. Uh, you know. <laughs> exactly. Doing the, that. Yeah, doing the gamer thing yesterday. Uh, I know I saw yesterday. And uh, But I think one of the things with, with what you're talking about, too, and I think one of the reasons Pedersen probably stayed in Vancouver during the offseason here is have access to a rink, right? He, he's spoken before, you know, in his hometown. It's about 40 minutes away to the closest rink. It's convenient to do so here. And the temperament of this team and the youth of this team, because the core of this team is young, right? There are old players. You're right. The the Beagles, Sutters, Roussels of the world, there are older families, all of that. But the core of this team, the driving force behind the Vancouver Canucks is youth. It's the Pedersons, the Hughes, the Betchers of the world. And those guys are, and not only are they young, but they also have a certain uh, temperament that I think is guys who are committed to the craft. And that, yes. I think, is going to show itself out. They're not going to be showing up in a couple of weeks like James Harden was yesterday. No. James Harden did something for dad bods right across North America showing up in Houston yesterday. And I'm, I'm proud of him. And I feel like I, I was going to go to the gym today after the show. But now I'm just going to James Harden it and just open up. And the by the way, he still played well. Like, we should give him credit for that. Yes. Well, listen, that's old school. You can play yourself into shape, and I think there will be some NHLers that will play themselves into shape. You go way back to the one lockout with Keith Kachuk, Matthew's father, came back, and he would have been pushing 240 pounds, and you just thought, hmm. Now you go back, he probably, the kids, you know, Brady and Matthew were probably just babies back then, and maybe is that rather hang out with them. They're a tight family than they were training. But I, I do think there is an advantage, to your point, Um you know, that a guy like Pedersen is stuck out here so he can train, doesn't have to worry about any kind of quarantine. And, and you're right. I think we all thought when when that March break happened and we waited that Pedersen would be skating all the time. But because of circumstances where he was, it wasn't as easy. Uh, but it, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a challenge because you're not going to know what's going on. What do we talk about finally with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens? As they got set, they had to adjust to a whole lot of things. And you may go, well, what if you miss a game? And I don't think the NHL will run into missing games, but I do think, Bick, and I think you would agree too, you're going to run into players missing games because of their health. Uh, yes. Uh, now, <laughs> is that going to be a physical injury? Is that going to be a mental injury? Whatever it is. But given the compressed schedule, yeah, you're absolutely going to 
be picking up all sorts of issues. And I think that's the thing that I think a lot of fans look at when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks and say, because there's going to be health issues, is there enough depth on this team? Because one injury, especially on that blue line, to the wrong player could sink a season. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You don't have the depth, and that's why you know all this talk of hmm, do you spend that money if Michael Furlan's not playing and make yourself better because of that? I think they look at this as well. Let's let's just see what we have, and we'll spend that money after. Uh, lots of different things to get in. I want to remind you, um, we were talking about Harden hoops are back. The countdown to tip off is brought to you by Denny's. Get a holiday turkey dinner for four. Starting at $59.99, visit denny's.ca. When we return, uh, no BS, just PS. The one home, the one home in our entire country where there should never be a B&E. Burglars went there and they finally got caught. We'll explain it to you on the other side. 641 on home, the Vancouver Canucks. Sportsnet 650. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter, sort of. We call BS. You want answers. I want the truth. It's not BS, just PS with Perry Solkowski. 646, uh, that is not the BS. Uh, that's a little PS here on a Wednesday morning. Made it a hump day. It's going to be a nice day, too. We might get up to nine. Let's get into uh, no BS, just a whole bunch of PS for you. A lot of facts that we have to pull out and things that maybe we're not talking about a lot, but they are very important, just like the home of Walter Gretzky. You know, last week we talked about Wayne Gretzky and his rookie card, first hockey card to break the $1 million barrier as far as memorabilia was concerned. So anything with Gretzky on it is great. But, boy, in August, something happened, and you wouldn't believe it. You never know. Wayne did a whole lot on the ice like this. They're mauling Gretzky over in the corner. The fans go wild. 50 goals in 39 games. Got 50 goals before anybody else got 30. And you know where a lot of that stuff is from all those record years? In Walter Gretzky's house. Someone broke in there. They made two arrests yesterday to a man and woman charged with over a half million dollars worth of Gretzky memorabilia. Bick, gloves, sticks, other pieces of equipment. Now they've said today a member of the OPP, Ontario Police Department, was part of it, um, inside job. Funny enough, Gretzky's youngest brother, Brent, is an Ontario police officer. Man, Walter Gretzky, and Wayne has told the stories, like, that house is pretty much just open. He invites everybody, hey, come take a look at some of these things. Gretzky said he used to have, if kids come, they put on the sweaters. Man, Come on, Canadians. How do you go to Walter Gretzky's house and steal stuff from him? I'm not uh, suggesting, uh, you know, B&Es are a, a, a good thing, but is there no place that's sacred, right? Is, is there no place that you can just leave alone? Yeah. Go that somewhere else. One, that still is the very Canadian thing, right? Like, yeah. you, you got to stay away from that. Like, you, you hope that this doesn't force Walter to get a guard dog named Semenko and keep everybody away, but it could be. I still want to stay with Gretz too, because he was on a, a Cam and Strick podcast this week 
Uh, he's been around and talked about a lot of things. You've always heard of Dustin Johnson, but here's one thing I haven't heard. And here, when you have the nickname the greatest, I think it feels good for anybody else who can be better than someone called the greatest. And that is certainly the case if you are a handyman around the house. Because 99, not at all. I am the absolute worst. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. As soon as I open the door, um, it's it's really kind of embarrassing because I'm I'm really illiterate. If, you, if there's a lack of a better word, um, I just it's not my thing. I just never been good at it. Um, I, I'm the I'm the guy that when you're putting the TV in, you tell the guy, look, I just want an on-off button. You know, not four remotes, not three remotes. I just want one remote, turn the TV on, and turn the TV off. That's how. That's about as handy as I get around the house. Uh, he won't be part of our Mr. Fix-It segment at 7.30 with Ken Priestley. I was just going to say, that's why we have Ken, not uh, Wade. Listen, hey, sometimes in life you don't need it. Gretz going on to say, they said, hey, can you cook? He goes, honestly, I can. Bacon and eggs, Yeah. Anything else? Like he goes, if the grill was on, the barbecue was on, I, I wouldn't be bad with some hamburgers and steaks. But he goes, anything else? So Wayne Gretzky grew up playing hockey and just plays hockey and uh, hangs out with the grandkids now. So uh, there you know, no BS, just PS there. Uh, just PS with this. What happens when kids and dads get two of their favorite things together? It could be wild. Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? Come on, Liam, let's go watch the wild card game. Dad, I don't like football. No, I'm going to watch it on my television, and you watch it on Nickelodeon with, with SpongeBob and SquarePants and everything else. Nickelodeon is going to broadcast, Vic, you know this, wild card game, 1 o'clock, wild card weekend. And, man, I'll tell you, I'm asking you now, Vic, you love your NFL, so do I. Are you going to flip the channel and see what they're doing? Oh, I can't wait for this. This is... This is going to be fun. It's going to be weird. It's going to be wacky. It's not going to necessarily be meant for us, but that's the point. It's meant for a younger crowd. It's Nickelodeon, for goodness sakes. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The trailer they put out looked hilarious. Uh, I'm definitely going to be tuning in. I wish I wish it was a, a Seahawks game because, you know, they yeah. are the weirdest team on the field. But it's going to be an AFC wildcard game, so the Seahawks can't compete in that. But to me, the Seahawks are the perfect candidate to play in a – a weird, wacky game. Oh, with 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 the with the lime green uniforms would work too. Right? Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So what the trailer shows is kind of like okay, so you're kicking a field goal. You will have it had kind of like animation in between the uprights, like oh, like maybe you're kicking it into SpongeBob. Uh, you know, a player makes a catch and all of a sudden he's got like animated big eyes, like he saw that in. Um, I'm curious how they will pull it off. I think they must have like 20 or 30 different. Uh, figures or images that would work with, say, uh, you know, I would imagine if there's an offside call, they'll have some kind of animation or something around a referee. Uh, but I think it's a brilliant idea, too, to get kids involved in the game. It, it reminds me of, like, uh, the Fox puck tracker on NHL, but that was, like, a gimmick designed for sports Education, fans. yeah. Yeah, this is a gimmick designed for kids. Right, and it's on a separate channel completely. If you want the broadcast your way, you're still going to be able to find that. So I, I'm I'm really excited to see how this works because the technology to pull it off, I think, is going to be fascinating. And does that translate to other sports as well? Well, you know, all of a sudden, 
you may have a whole bunch of kids who aren't big NFL fans. Go, that was really cool. And then there's that family togetherness and people are going. So interesting to see January 10th, Nickelodeon taking an NFL feed and showing the wild card game. Hey, P.S., the top soccer league in France is in trouble. It is France. It will be some can-can on the Champs-Élysées tonight. France are the champions of the world. Oh, who doesn't like the can-can on the Champs-Élysées? Uh, the league's in trouble. Here's why. They signed a new broadcast deal for about $1.2 billion with a company called Media Pro. Media Pro has the broadcast rights, actually, of the Canadian national and women's team that they signed uh, just over a year ago. Uh, a Spanish company backed by Chinese interest. Times are tough. They had an outdid Media Pro. They paid, of a four-year deal, they paid like one-third of it, $300 million that they owed for this year. They gave a third of that and now have backed off. And a lot of people, Vic, said, hey, this deal was so much bigger than the previous one. They had to know in France that you couldn't do it. Problem is now as the January transfer window comes, all these teams thought they had a, a bucket full of money from the TV deal. Now they're going, holy smokes, we are screwed. This is a disaster. It's, uh, man, you, you hate stories like this because we, we know the realities that are happening around the world. Uh, and for, for uh, a sports league that's now facing this challenge as well, on top of everything else, um, it's, you, you make a great point with the January transfer window. It, it just changes. It's another wrench thrown into the plans for, for the teams in that league. And, and for League One, it's going to be a big issue how they solve this going forward. Well, and we, we've talked about it from an NHL perspective. You're up against the salary cap. Well, down in soccer, if you had the money, you pay the money. And all of a sudden, if you don't have that money, you're not going to be able to make the moves that you were thinking about right now. And where is it coming from? And that's the difference when you talk about the NHL and the NBA. NBA, a bucket full of money from broadcast rights. That's where soccer got their money. And they won't be having it in in League One now over in France. Uh, no BS. That is just PS. Uh, 6.55 here in sports at 6.50. It is Wednesday morning. Nice morning out here. Get out and enjoy it if you can. I don't know how nice it is in Florida. It's been chilly, but that's where we're going. Olympic gold medalist Vancouver Canuck and the club champion at his golf course, Eddie Jovanovsky on the other side. Perry and Vic, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. What up, Bex fans? Uh, this is Yanis, uh, the Greek freak. I'm excited for today. And here comes Showtime. Adeta Kumbo with the hammer. These guys are here to break it all down. You know, the side they're focused on obviously hammering out the protocols, but also being nimble here and, and reacting to what COVID gives them because ultimately that's that's kind of driving the bus. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Some people listen to music in the morning. I listen to you guys. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski. 7.02 on a Wednesday morning, this hour of the starting lineup brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver or online at DunbarLumber.com. Eddie Jovanovsky will join us. In fact, Eddie might even be in. Eddie, are you there already? Because you don't listen to music, you listen to us. Are you there, my friend? I'm here. Yeah, you are. You, you, know, you are. Were you ever late? Did you ever have an episode for a car reason or something that you were late to a game or kind of uh, behind schedule? Because I don't think that's you. No, I was always that guy that kind of gave myself a little bit of extra time. Um, 
you know, especially when I was playing in Vancouver, living on the west side. Um, I always took the second Narrows Bridge into uh, into into work um, and took the Lionsgate home. So I always gave myself kind of ample time to get there. Um, I think one time I might have gotten pulled over, <laughs> maybe a little bit of speeding. But I remember the guy gave me a gave me a little warning, but it was pushing it a little bit. But for the most part, when you plan on being there three hours before a game, you're usually got some time to spare. Did you have a teammate uh, in any of your stops in the NHL that was probably, uh, if for lack of a better word, tardy and go, wow, man, he's always the last guy here? Um, no one that I can think of on the top of my mind here. Um, maybe a few of the young guys, you know, towards the end of my career, you know, the young guys were kind of, you know, pushing it kind of, you know, we got to be there you know, hour and a half before practice, they would show up an hour and a half before practice. And then kind of after practice, it'd be like, boom, gone. <laughs> you know, so um, maybe that's changed now. I know a lot of the guys are putting in a lot of work uh, before and after practice mm -hmm. on and off the ice. So, um, you know, Florida, you got, you got all, you some, something always going on, you know, you don't want to miss it. Yeah, my here. I tell you, big before we get this, probably the the worst I've ever felt is a massive traffic jam in Richmond, and you know I was flying out with the team, and I started phoning uh, their PR guy Chris Brumwell to say, "Man, I have not moved in the last ten minutes." Where he goes, "Oh, I think you'll be okay," and then I gave him another update, and then he phones me, "Where are you?" And I go, "Brum," and I flew to the airport, got to the 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 um where you can just leave your car where you guys did. I don't think, well, mind you, I guess I always did that. And just kind of threw it to him and said, hey, man, I'm really late. And ran there and promised said, it's okay. They had an issue with the plane. We didn't log on. But I thought, oh, listen, not, you're a great guy now, but you didn't want to piss people off and go, yeah, you're waiting for me of all things. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's you a bad it. feeling. It's a bad feeling. I, I, You know what? It's funny you said that. I have had one incident in Vancouver. There was a traffic jam. But the good thing about Crow was in that traffic jam too, and so was Bert, and so was Macy. We all lived on that side, so I do remember there was a there was a bad accident that held up uh, the highway, uh, but we ended up kind of getting there um, plenty of time. So long as you're in before, then you can be like, "We're waiting for you guys. What's going on here?" Right, but it's just that it's that feeling, right? And and I've always been like that, and I think a couple of my kids inherited that from me, where they're always that, "Let's go, let's go, let's go. We're going to be late." So. It's something good to have. It's always, you know, it's better to be early than 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 pushing it. So, um, something I learned early on from a couple Wiley vets. Well, yeah, you don't want to make your time more important than anybody else, and and that's right. a team thing. Hey, our poll question today is dealing with the Vancouver Canucks, and who do, would you like as a fan to have that breakout year? Uh, it's interesting where the numbers are, but we we gave them four options, and yeah, you know, you want Jake Furtana to get better and everyone to get better. But when we look at it, we go three guys that, okay, there's going to be a lot on their plate if they can. Thatcher Demko, one. Adam Gaudet playing a center role. Olio Levy, hopefully on the blue line. Or Zach McEwen as they look to fill a void on the right side. Where would you lean with something like that? Well, I, I think when you look at how Demko, you know, with the situation where he came in last year and how well he played, I think expectations are, are high you know, for him to, to come in. I don't know what the sharing responsibility is going to be in, but I, the, obviously the expectations uh, of his play and being a part of bigger part of the team, 
Are we going to increase? Um, being a defenseman, I, I'm really curious to see, you know, Ole Ulevi, how he, he can stay healthy and what kind of player he can be. So I'm kind of leaning more towards him because I think the potential is there. And, and he was drafted high and the expectations were there. So um, I'm hoping that he can fill a void there on the, on the back end and be a, a, a big part of that uh, blue line. You know, he's not... I think I think the expectations for him, you know, he's not going to be a huge player. You know, I, I think he set that bar where he can, you know, separate himself. He's in that upper elite class of defensemen. But he was drafted high for a reason. Their potential is there. So the ex- expectations are there. So I'm curious to see how that's going to unfold. My my concern when it comes to Demko, and, and he's gotten a fair share of votes, of course, here on this poll question at Sportsnet650 on Twitter. It's just... There's an excessive amount of competition for that spot. I'm not, I'm not necessarily convinced that you know he will dominate the crease uh, when the when the season comes around, right? It's just hope right. he's got a certain pedigree. He's won a Vesna, he's won a Stanley Cup, and yeah, I, I kind of agree. Demko starts the season, but over the course of time, I I'd probably be willing to bet on Brayton Holpe over Thatcher Demko. Yeah, Vic, I think he said it, and, I, and I've, I've said this before. I, I think guys that – but you can't necessarily throw Demko in this, you know, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when guys get hurt and a number two goes in that position. Yeah. Over, over a, a short period of time, you know, they excel. For some reason, kind of the, the consistency kind of tapers off and, you know, things don't work out. But I think Demko, he, he's one at every level. Um, he's an elite goaltender. He's come in in tough situation last year and kind of showed that he can play in high pressure moments. Um, you know, but it's a long year. It's a long year. And what you want to develop with young goaltenders is having that ability to kind of, you know, play a fair share of games and play consistent throughout your time in the nets. So, um, but it's, it's a great combo with these two because he can really le- they can re- really lean on each other. We have one guy that's that's won personal awards, won championship. Um, he can learn from him, but I think the Vancouver Canucks are in a great position here uh, with goaltenders because of the shortened season. Uh, you don't want to overtax someone, and you want to keep guys fresh. And I think these two uh, will have a great competition in net. And you know, as a coaching staff. You know, if the timing is right and the goalie's playing well, I think you ride him, you know, because points are going to be so crucial, um, you know, this season that, you know, wins are going to be really imperative. And, but it's a good situation to have for both of them. Yeah, I look at the question like this. I, you know, and, and 47% of the people, Eddie, by the way, agree they would want Ole Levy to have that breakout year. I, I know they lost Jacob Markstrom, but I'm not concerned about the Canucks goaltending. I believe Thatcher Demko is a pro goalie. I know Braden Holpe is. So to me, I go, you know, Demko, do we need a breakout year? No, you just need him to continue to progress. Gaudet, well, you know what? You've got others if he doesn't grab that third line center. But to me, you go Ole Olevi. Hey, he's actually there. The blue liner that you can hopefully count on for years to come. I wonder this, Eddie, and I always feel bad when I just come up with a question at the top of my head, but your, your recall is so good. I would imagine most times when you went to training camp, you had a pretty good idea, with the exception of when you're young and in Florida, like what the team was is was likely going to look like, who those six or seven defensemen were going to be. 
Did you go to camp sometimes and get surprised by somebody who comes out of nowhere and go, holy smokes, he's with us to start the year. And that guy actually stayed and had a, uh, you know, an NHL career through it where he wasn't on a radar. Oh, now you put me on the spot. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, Perry, I'm sure it's, it's happened. I mean, guys come into training camp that aren't expected to, you know, to crack the lineup, but from what the coaching staff management and even players for that matter, seeing how can you let this guy go and and you know what i'll get back to you with the with the player i can think because i know it's happened you know in, in my career where i've had a you know player really stand out and, and and it had a great career so well and eddie you know here's the guy i think of and i guess you guys would have crossed paths at some point i would think but when we traveled i i always would would chuckle because when mike keenan was there um and i'd look for an interview to do he would always go uh, give him steve stamkos and uh, Steve Stamkos, Steve Stales, Steve Stales right. right? And Stales had had like one shift. Sometimes he'd be a forward. Sometimes he'd be a defenseman. He'd be riding the bike to kind of get a sweat going. And I'd always feel bad. Great guy. But I would have never thought a guy who never got a chance in Vancouver went on. I think he was a captain in Atlanta. It might've been in Edmonton and had a really nice NHL career. Yet never got a shot, right? I, those, those guys right. are there, right? And, and that's a that's a great example. And I know Stevie well, and you know playing for uh, playing with him for a little bit. But you know you persevere and you always kind of you know do the right thing. And and that's what kind of player Stevie was. He never really got in trouble. He was you know he was pretty solid defensively. You know used the window a lot, get the play out of the zone. You know, but guys like that, yeah. You know, coaches fall in love with these players because the word that comes to mind is they're reliable. And, you know, coaches always love these one or two guys that they can put out in key situations that, you know, nine out of 10 times they're going to make the right play. So they're out there, you know, you know, players are out there and, and, it, and they're great stories too. Uh, elsewhere, uh, we saw yesterday as we talked about some like locker room dynamics and guys you noticed. Uh, so in the NBA, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Antetokounmpo signs this massive deal, $225 million. It's a it's a max deal. And we were just kind of having a conversation of, okay, what happens if that happens in the NHL and a guy takes 20% of the cap? And I think it works out to like 16 some odd million dollars. Uh, you know, the, the conversation that we've heard about some guys like Connor McDavid, it's like, oh, he took less for the sake of the team. Do you guys notice that if someone took the max? You know, like, How do you think that conversation would go in the locker room? I think guys are happy, you know, when guys, you know, get lucrative contracts. I, I think no one's going to look at Connor McDavid and say, hey, listen, you ate up 20% of the salary cap. He's a big part of the team, and, and he's the engine that makes that team go. Um, you know, it's only, I mean, you look at the Nathan McKinnon situation, you know, right? What would his salary be? I mean, you know, at 6'5", you know what's his next deal going to look like? Are you are you going to are the management going to go to him and say, listen, hey, we want to keep this core you know group together. We feel like we can we have a couple championships in us. You know what's that going to look like? But I don't I don't think guys, you know, if they if they take the money, um, and there's less to pass around, I don't think guys are are, are bitter about that. There's a shelf life in hockey where you want to maximize you know, your, your potential in the contract, you know, situations. Um, but I guess I, you know, on the flip side of that, 
you can look at it as, you know, you make 10 million or you make 12 million, you know, it's, is it a huge, huge difference when you have opportunity to keep a group together to win? And, you know, that's a decision that a player has got to make himself. Um, but I don't think there's, there's players, guys aren't that selfish enough in, in, in hockey to, to look at a guy and be bitter at him that he didn't leave money for the rest of the guys. You've always said that, you know, those kind of conversations don't go on in NHL dressing rooms. Let me ask you this. If, if during your career, I don't know, for the end or at the middle, or maybe you just weren't that guy too interested, if I was to have given you a pop quiz or a piece of paper um, and had all the name of the starters uh, in your lineup in that dressing room and then an ABC choice of what they were making in salary, how close would you have been to knowing what most guys make on your team? Uh, well, the, the top guys, you, you know, but you, you don't know any, uh, you know, everyone's salary. It's not something that I personally. The guys who make more than you, you know, but nobody below you. Is that telling me? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying like you have a group of, and it's obviously no secret. Everybody knows, but you have your top guys that you kind of know where they are in the group. I, I think the guys, you know, that are kind of fall behind that. Yeah, it's it's not something that you're kind of looking at to the scent on on what these guys are are making. But honestly, I think you nailed it, Perry. I, I, I don't think hockey players, they don't really care kind of what guys, you know, you have a $10 million player um, going out to dinner with a guy making 700 grand. And, and the conversation is about just kind of everything but I think salaries, you know. So yeah. it's, it's not something that, you know, in hockey, not, I don't know, I can't speak for other sports, you know, how it is, but when, when you sign a Supermax deal at 228, um, I got to believe that you're expected to cover every meal during the season on the road. I, I, I think that's just a <laughs> human nature. It's like, if you're going to complain about somebody, complain about the rich, right? You know, you right. always... You're always aware of what the top guy makes. It's like you're making six million dollars and you can't do this. It, it, Perry's the same for us. I always tell C Max, like Perry's doing this and I'm getting barely, you know, ba barely getting paid here. Look at yeah, all the work I do. It's funny because you know I came in the league as an 18 year old and uh, you know being the top pick, my my contract was uh, was a nice one for for a teenager. And I don't know where I I stood on 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 the list in, in Florida as far as. But I was the top three, I believe, top four. You know, Beezer, you got Mel and B there. But still, when I went on the road, I never covered anything. You know, the older guys that were making less, they just felt that it was, hey, listen, we're going to take this young guy under a wing and we're going we're gonna to treat him to a couple beers and pick up dinner here and there. And it's something that I kind of, you know, took and I, you know, passed it along too. I said, you know, Hey, listen, I'm lucky in a situation where, you know, I'm well paid and take a couple of young guys and, and make sure they never take out their credit card on the road. And, you know, so. Did you run into, I never asked you this. Did you run into a rookie dinner that you can remember that you had to pull out the credit card? Well, it's funny. In my rookie year in, uh, you know, in Florida, we actually had our rookie meal in, in Vancouver. And we actually had it in West Vancouver at a restaurant that I pretty frequently went to. Um, it was right on the water. Uh, you know, I forget the name of it, but it was a joke. I mean, I, I think we were like 6,000 each, each rookie at, at the time. Um, 
but I've been a part of a, a rookie meal where it was uh, pretty lucrative and, you know, we helped out, <laughs> you know, you guys did for, help out. Yeah, we did help out. Yeah. It was just, it got a little bit out of control and, uh, you got, got a number for me. Uh, yeah, it was, it was North of 40. Oh, Really? You know, yeah, you know, when you late night and you're ordering ordering bottles of Screaming Eagle and and this and that. But hey, listen. If if that's all it is in hockey where guys can go out there and really have a good night and, and enjoy good wine and, and a good meal, um and guys are willing to hey, listen, hey, the bill got a little out of control. Let's grab a few guys and uh we'll cover, you know, half of this bill. Do you, but do you look at the rookie's face, Eddie, when they get the bill just so you can enjoy that momentarily? Why the rookie's face? They're making more than some of the guys are. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, gone are the rookie days, right? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, especially these top guys coming in with their, you know, their their rookie deals and uh, their off-ice uh, endorsement money and this and that. But listen, I, I think when you every time, anytime you have an opportunity to to keep things calm and and not make someone really uncomfortable, um, you're willing to help. Uh, Ed Jovanovski joins us as he does every Wednesday. We're, it's, it's almost like asking recall, and I know you didn't play in this game, but I know Mike sent it to you. Uh, this, on this day in history, December 16th, six years ago, your Florida Panthers were in the longest shootout in NHL history. Uh, Braden Holpe in goal for Washington, Roberto Luongo yeah. for Florida. What, 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 with an injury? Is that what you remember? You weren't in the game. I what I wasn't in the game. I, I'm trying to remember if I was even on the team. What year was that? Four. Well, our producer Mike English said you were there in 2014. Were you there? Oh, well, I was. I was definitely hurt. <laughs> 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 that that was that was 38 at the time. I was definitely hurt. Um, yeah, yeah. That was that was. Uh, I, I remember. I remember. I remember the shootout. It was crazy. And I, I've been a part of one where I believe I was the 11th shooter. We were in, in Phoenix, and I just bury it right in Jose Theodore's glove. And we're neighbors now. And I always, <laughs> I always, I always, he was like, why did you give me an extra jab there? You know, I shot in his glove, and I gave him an extra jab, thinking that possibly he could go in after the fact. But um, I had a couple breakaways in, in my career that I've scored on, but you got too much time to think about it during the shootout. So I really respect the guys that have a good batting average in the, uh, in the shootout. Did you only have one shootout? I only had one. I, yeah. I have obviously been a part of many that went the distance, but I, I think the coaches kind of shy away from, from a lot of the defensemen. But uh, when you see, when you do see a defenseman go in there, usually scores, because he just goes in there and kind of picks a corner and keeps it simple. So uh, you see that around the league, especially one guy comes to mind is uh, Victor Hedman. is a guy that uh, regularly scores in a shootout. Hey, we were uh, reacting to it yesterday and uh, wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, the Monday night football game, did that uh, safety uh, play, play a role in, in anything you were uh, picking on for uh, Monday night? No, it didn't. It didn't. Something. <laughs> really? something Sometimes you just got to buy the hook, you know, <laughs> you know, but yeah, what a, what a crazy, what a crazy finish. And, and then that game was seesawing so, you know, so much during the game that, you know, the, the, the money line was always kind of in check. So it's something that I kept hitting the button on the, the money line. 
you know, to, but it was a, it was a crazy game. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. Uh, what did I, Lamar, what did Lamar Jackson really leave for though? So he's claiming cramps. Right. And uh, he, he's, he's not claiming there was any Luongo-esque incident. Right. Well, here's a story. Here's a story for me. And, and all the guys that, that, I, that played with me would, uh, you know, could, you know, could say verify. that this is, yeah, verify that this is, this is true. So after every first TV timeout, I always ran to the bathroom to go, to go pee. You know, it's one of those things that is just first TV timeout. Guys would be like, where's Jovo going? You know, but it always, you know, the first TV timeout, especially at home where we had access, we didn't have to come across the ice. You know, I had to go to the bathroom. It was just one of those things that, um, you know, throughout that was my the routine. career. Like you're talking that every was, game. That was the routine. Whether I had to go or not, I just had to go try. <laughs> really? And it started at, at, as a rookie or when you were a comfortable veteran going, here's my routine now? Uh, good question. It, it probably didn't happen early on, but it was something that for, for a long time, um, you know, first TV timeout, I would, would, uh, run over to the bathroom. You know, when you got to go, you got to go. You're supposed to do it before you leave. And that's why I, yeah. I do it before I leave. That's who why you're pisses, late for some stuff. I, it's always who pisses more than Jovo. <laughs> it's always a, like, <laughs> how are you with car trips when the kids were younger? Oh, you'd go for you'd go for five minutes and pull over. Going, ah, it's just a routine your dad's always had. Right, we'll be good for the next two and a half periods. I I don't drink water for two days before I got to go on a long road trip. First red light, (laughs) we're pulling over. Jeez, Florida Uh, man. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. Ed Jovanovsky. What what are the odds, Beck? You have one shootout in your career. And the guy you don't score against is your neighbor. That's unbelievable. That's great. Yeah, there it is. Eddie Jovanovsky joins us every Wednesday with some stories. And there's a routine. Where's Jovo? I, no, I'm people... just imagining, like, taking the trash out at the end of the driveway. And it's like, you happen to meet your neighbor. It's like, remember that time you didn't score on me? Yeah. Like, you always you, you always have that in your head. The <laughs> one time I had it and you happened to live beside me. What are the odds? Uh, we'll get into some other things, too. What's the mental approach? Mr. Fix-It, Stanley Cup champion Ken Priestley on the other side at 725 on a Wednesday morning on Sportsnet 650. It's time for Mr. Fix-It, brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Now, here's Ken Priestley. It is that time, Wednesday morning, and we uh, visit with Ken Priestley, Stanley Cup champion, the man at Dunbar Lumber. Good morning, Kenny. How are you? Morning. How are you? Well, good, thank you. Hey, uh, we were just talking to Jovo, and uh, today is the anniversary of the longest shootout in NHL history. So we started asking breakaways or penalty shots or shootouts. If I ask you that, what's the best Ken Priestley story you would have about a breakaway or a penalty shot? Breakaways were 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 not common, but I had more breakaways. I don't think I had one. No, I had one penalty shot when I was in Europe and I was, uh, I was lucky enough to score. And uh, so, yeah, the, the, the shootouts and all that kind of stuff, they never took place when I played. So it was, no, uh, you, it, it's yeah. a totally you were pre-shootouts. Yeah. I was pre-shootout. Oh yeah. No, we didn't have, we just, I think we just, uh, we just tied and that was it. And uh, 
you know, everybody got their point and, and then they went home. But um, no, I, I do remember one shootout or not one shootout. So one penalty shot, it was in Europe, it was in Sheffield and uh, it was against Cardiff and, and I, and I was fortunate enough to score and I think we did win that game. So it was a success all the way around. Did you know? Uh, yeah. I was going to say, did you know what you were going to do or did you make it up on the fly? Did you have a set move? You know, you know what? I had a go-to and it was always high glove. And um, I, I was lucky when uh, I was, I was, I was playing well that game. I was on a, a little bit of a goal scoring streak game wise. And uh, I was fairly confident that the guy that I was going to go on was not going to be able to stop this. So yeah, I, I knew what I was going to do right from the start, and uh, it was successful. There were no big sellies back then either. Uh, the there was a few. There was a few. I, I think we were pretty calm, but uh, I think I celebrated that one. I think it was actually, it was, I think it was New Year's Eve. And, uh, oh, it, my it first, gets better. Yeah, it might have been my really? first year over. It might have been my first year over in, in Britain. And uh, I think my agent was over for the game, and, and it was our first... It might have only been like five or six games into my start over there as well because I, I started late December or mid-December that year in Europe. And um, so, yeah, I think it was kind of a, a great introduction to what the league was, a great introduction to what Sheffield was as a, as a fan base and uh, how they reacted to big games against rivals. It was quite exciting. Oh, that's awesome to score then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you something because, you know, you mentioned playing in Europe. You've played, obviously, Buffalo and Pittsburgh and, and the national team. You, you've played in a lot of spots. Our poll question is dealing with some young guys today in the Canucks and who will break through. What's the adjustment, Ken, to a player when you go from a spot where you're going you're gonna to log maybe 20, 18 minutes to a spot on a bench where you might just be getting – you know, seven or eight, it, that must be a tough adjustment for a player who expects a lot and then gets to a next level and goes, I, I'm not going to get those minutes right away. I'd be lying to you to say that I, I wasn't, it doesn't affect you. It does affect you in, in a number of different ways and, and everybody's different. Um, the, you know, my junior career, I, I was, I, I was, a, I was a goal scorer. And so when I was drafted, um, the year that I was drafted, the, I had a couple injuries. I had a broken hand, separated shoulder. So, you know, numbers go down and you're not so sure that you're going to go where you want to go. And fortunately enough, me, I was, I was drafted by Buffalo and went to camp and, and it was okay. I got sent down, but when I got sent back that year, um, playing a full year, it was, it was a successful year for me, uh, a successful year for the team because we, 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 we just all of a sudden started some winning, right? We, we, we didn't make the playoffs. So success that way wasn't there, but it was just as a franchise, it was good. And then the next year I went to camp in Buffalo and I actually made the team. And so it was kind of a great start for me, but um, it didn't always finish that way because unlike junior, when there's three or four guys on a team and you're going to get tons of ice and you're going to get every opportunity power play and, you know, four on three and, penalty killing and all that kind of stuff so you get all those opportunities to be successful when you get to the next level there's a lot of guys ahead of you and that doesn't matter how you've played sometimes um veteran guys and 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 more experienced guys get opportunities and so that that's just the way it went there but um playing at at a pro level uh there's a pecking order for sure and uh, if you come in and 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 are lucky enough to to start right away and get on a hot streak, they're going to go with you. No question. But if you're struggling, you know, you may not get those opportunities to be successful. 
Uh, Ken, we're asking our listeners today at Sportsnet650 on Twitter. It's our poll question. Uh, viewing this Canucks team, uh, which Canuck player do you hope has a breakout year? Uh, we're giving them four options. If you've got another one, chime in as well. But our four are Demko, Gaudette, Ua Levy, and McEwen. Who stands out to you as having that breakout year? Um, I, I want to see how, how Demko plays, right? Like, he's he's been great i mean at the end of the at the end of last year we were so excited as a group of canuck fans to see how this was going to go when markstrom goes down and then demko comes in and and there's just a whole bunch of excitement because he's playing so well um i'm really excited for that i mean there's there's questions all over the place for that and then people are wondering how is that going to come in and how is Holtby going to mix and this that and the other thing but you know the pressure's on him now. He's he's they got rid of uh, uh, or, or you know Markstrom goes somewhere else in free agency and and Thatcher comes in and and he's been the guy for a while. Uh, he's got a, a legitimate starting goalie behind him as a, as if you want to say his backup. But uh, the ball's in his court right now, and and we'll see how long he takes it and or how well he takes it. And uh, I, I I'm expecting nothing but good things. I think he's a, a quality goaltender, and I think he's going to be here a long time. Yeah, and, and I guess the thing that's different, and Ken, we could take it back to, to you and, and the opportunities. You know, when you're forward a defenseman, you don't know how much you got. Mark, you know, if Thatcher Demko gets the start, he knows, you know, okay, play well, I'm okay, let's see what I can do for 60 minutes. So to go back to a, a McEwen and all that, and even your situation, when you said you weren't playing the minutes, does that mean when you jump over the boards, when you hear that your line's up, is it tough not to try and do more? Because you'd think, if I don't do something this shift, I might not be getting back on the ice for the next seven or eight minutes. That must be a, a real mental grind for players. No doubt. There, when, when, if, you're, if you're going out to be a defensive player and, and you're a third-line checker or a fourth-line checker, um, you go out there to do one thing and one thing only, that's just not get scored against. You want to make sure that uh, you're not the guy who's responsible for a goal or you're not, your line's not responsible for a goal. If you kick one in on the other side and get one for your, for your team, that's a bonus. But uh, to be a, to be a, a goal scorer and I, and I've, and I'm, you know, I've done enough goal scoring at different levels that you have to feel confident. You, you can't be gripping the stick you you know squeeze out sawdust you have to be feeling it and there's a different feel for a, a guy who scores goals and a guy who doesn't score goals and and uh, we've had lots of conversations between teammates back and forth and after practice shootouts and I remember in a in a shootout one time in Buffalo with a defenseman named Jim Corn the last two guys that were out and he goes you know what I'm never going to score here he says you know what Ken you see a spot when you go down on a goaltender I see nothing but a big sheet of plywood so I have no idea how I'm going to score so the difference between that type of a, a thought and, a, and the thought of a guy going in there knowing he's going to score um, or try to score is 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 a big deal for a lot of people and there was only one sort of instance where I thought that uh, that I had a chance here and I scored a, a goal in Buffalo and uh, it was an overtime goal and I got sent as quick as I came in the locker room and had the time to sit down, take my helmet off, put my gloves in my stall. I had the GM coming in and saying, Hey, you're on the next, uh, get your car. You're going to new market. So there's an up and a down there. You think you score an overtime winner. You're going to stick around and play Chicago the next day. Nope. You're going down to new market to play with Rochester. So it's a, it's a, it's a funny game, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun. 
That's the, the, yeah, it's really fascinating because you think about you know young players and, and tapping into their potential, and they're so excited. And there's that mental aspect, and, and you get to the pros, and it's you know there's an element you talk about confidence and you know feeling the highs. But you know for you that that physical side of it too, like how how much did you put how, how much work did you put into it and, and thinking okay I, I've got to do X Y and Z physically to get ready for this upcoming chance and this upcoming seasons. You, you put your time in. If you want to be a professional athlete at any sport, you have to put your time in. You can't just show up. I mean, talking to Jovo before, you know, there's when you go to training camp, there's a lot of tests. There's a lot of strength. There's a lot of cardio. There's a lot of stuff. You can't just show up uh, and have taken two or three months off and expect to have any chance. I mean, really, if you're if you want to be successful as a professional athlete at any sport, you have to prepare yourself. So that's against you. If you, if you don't come to training camp prepared and, uh, and, and maybe you're a bubble player or even not a bubble player, um, you're a professional athlete. That's your job. Come to camp in shape and, uh, and let the cards fall where they may after that. But uh, yeah, it, it, I never was one of those guys that took the summers off. I always tried to keep up. I always tried to be the best shape possible uh, going into training camp and, and if they sent you down, they sent you down and then you just kind of work and, and, and hard to get back up. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but, uh, you know, my career, my career spanned over, uh, you know, 10 or 12 years in, in the minors in the pros, NHL, Europe. And, and I don't regret anything that happened. I mean, I was successful, uh, in, in, in the minors. I was successful in Europe. I was successful in Pittsburgh, even though, you know, we won some cups and I, and, and my contribution was, uh, was a lot different than, uh, than some of the other guys, but, uh, you know what, I really, really enjoyed the opportunity. And, and if there's anybody out there that wants to, to be an NHL hockey player, go for it. Cause it's a lot of fun. Ken, what do you make? Because you, you put up some big numbers. Uh, you know, as you said in junior, you were a goal scorer. I think in Europe, you're almost two goals a game. So what do you make when we watch someone like Brock Besser and he goes eight, nine games without scoring? And what do we say in the media? Hey, like, he, he can't forget how to score goals. He'll know how to do it. What's going through a guy's head? Because I'm sure you you put up big big numbers. You scored a lot of goals, but I'm sure there probably went seven or eight games sometimes where you couldn't score. So what does go through the goal scorer's head when he's not scoring? Um, that's, it's, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, I never thought that I wasn't going to score again, but I was always, when, when you're hot, everything goes in. So the goals that go in off a skate or off somebody's back or whatever, everything goes in when you're, when you're not so hot, you just got to figure out a way mentally and physically to get the puck across the goal line. It's, it's, it's a different feeling. I, I can't really put it into words. Um, Do you get scared to shoot, Ken? No, you don't get scared to shoot. You just, the more you think about it, the more you think about, is this going to go in? Because really when you're scoring, uh, and I think if you ask any scorer this question, you just shoot, right? You just get the puck on your stick, get it off your stick and, and shoot. And it goes in when you're not scoring for some reason, it, 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 what's going on here? Like, am I, am I taking that split second longer to get rid of it? Am I, am I looking at where I'm shooting? Maybe I just need to shoot it, and who cares where I'm shooting it? Just put it on the goal. You know, I I coach the U18s in South Delta, and and every single time we have a shooting drill, we got to hit the net. So how about just hit the net? Because if the goalie doesn't save it, it's a goal. Doesn't necessarily mean you put it top corner, right? You just you just got to figure out a way to get it by. And and when when 
goal scorers are struggling. Um, they're not they're not taking time off. That's for sure. They're trying to figure out mentally and physically. They're taking time after practice, before practice, shooting more pucks. I mean, it's just it's a feeling. And when you get that feeling back, um, look out. Right. It's just one of those things. It's 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 tough to explain. Uh, Ken, enjoy the Wednesdays. I always enjoy the Mister Fix It segment. Uh, it's a fascinating perspective to have. Thanks, this, but uh, we'll do it again next week. Stay safe. Yeah, you too. Take care, guys. See you Wednesday. All right, there's Ken Priestley of Dunbar Lumber, Mister Fix It. He put fifty-five goals in twenty-six games when he went over to Europe, Bick. I mean, he could score. Put the puck in the net. Uh, I, I like the way he says it. There, it's uh, kind of feels like sleeping. It's a uh, you want to go to sleep, you start thinking about trying to go to sleep, and you're not going to fall asleep, right? You, you just got to follow the same process. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, a reminder, hoops are back. I know we're talking hockey, but the countdown to tip-off is brought to you by Denny's. Uh, get a holiday turkey dinner for four starting at uh, $59.99. Visit Denny's.ca. Uh, lots to dive into what Ken Priestley was talking about. And who is the one breakout Canuck that you want as we get set for the season to begin? Let's hope at some point next month. Perry and Bick on the home of hockey, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Perry Solkowski, Vic Nassar here. James, enjoying the week off, 749 on the home of hockey, sports at 650. Vic, uh, we, you know, we've had a lot of reporters and insiders telling us what's going on, but I uh, haven't really heard a lot from Gary Bettman, but that's changed. He's speaking at a conference today, uh, and the NHL uh, commissioner saying essentially what we've been talking about the whole time, that, hey, they don't have any answers right now. We were hoping to travel, but a bubble may be how things are going to be played here. Yeah, a quote from Bettman saying, right now we're focused on whether or not we're going to play in our buildings and do some limited traveling or play in a bubble, and that's something we're working on and getting medical advice on, and uh, also saying we don't think we can conduct an entire regular season that way. So it it might be one of those travel in, travel out kind of scenarios. Well, they don't have control. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think uh, the numbers in Ontario uh, that were released this morning uh, records all around there. Bettman also said this, and I quote, if enough teams can't play again without fans in their own facilities, then we may have to move more and more towards a hub. It may be that some teams are playing in other buildings. It may be that a whole group of teams have to play in other buildings. I, You know, it's the difference, too, when he's looking at, listen, you can't even, San Jose, everybody in California, you're not even going to be able to practice there. We've seen yeah. with the 49ers, right? That's going to change. I don't see, you know, you're not playing in front of fans here in Canada. So that's gone. I mean, yeah, you might be able to go, well, Tampa can have a few fans. You know, the Panthers can have a few fans. But, I, I, and it'll be interesting to see. Do you go, all right, so out east, you're going to have six of those games will be played with fans in buildings. Uh, everybody in the Canadian division, you're not going to have fans yet. We'll wait and talk to your health authorities. That's why, and he did say, we hope to play and start in mid-January. Um, here was a commissioner who was adamant. First, he wanted January 1st. Then it seemed to be January 15th. I guess it's the right thing, Bick, for him to say, we hope. But, you know, really? Uh, are you going to be surprised if we go past January 15th and hockey hasn't started? Uh, yeah, it's realities that are facing the league, obviously. And 
they're going to have to come up with some creative solutions. And obviously the Canadian division, you know, is a creative solution. Uh, he did talk about the Canadian division as well, saying we may have to only for the regular season, have the Canadian teams play each other in Canada in one or more cities. And then we have to realign the remaining 24 teams in the United States. Yeah. And you know what, when I, I say they're not playing January 15th, I am complete. They're playing hockey. They're playing hockey. Yeah. It's just a matter of when are you going out? It's like you're outside and you're watching the storm and you know you have to go at some point. You're just going, geez, it's got to calm down in a moment or two, doesn't it? Okay, we've waited long enough. It's not calming down. And to me, waiting long enough is February 1st. You're playing February 1st. And if you've got to be in, in hub cities and do it that way, that's what you do. But just because you mentioned the middle of January and, and you're getting players back now anyways, I don't think that means you have to go, here, we said it, we're doing it. You can go, all right, well, then let, let's wait till the 22nd. We've got to dip our foot in the water at some point. But the commission, I, I hope it's middle January, but I don't think it's hurting anyone if you all of a sudden go, hey, we'll wait a, we'll wait a week longer. But guys, we got to make sure we're doing it by February. And as he has mentioned as well, uh, Elliot Friedman uh, kind of tweeting out in response to this, uh, potential hubs uh, across the states could be Columbus, Newark, Vegas, and then in Canada, Edmonton and Toronto. Uh, but as Bedman indicated, not permanent bubbles as we saw last number, uh, last, last summer. Yeah, and yeah, Batman said you can't go in there. A reminder this hour of the starting line was brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner or Butis in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. That's the latest from the commissioner, Gary Bettman. Western Hockey League, they had a board of governors meeting this week, and they realized, hey, if the NHL isn't sure when they can go, you wonder what do they do with junior hockey? We'll watch some over the holidays, but will that be it? Man in charge of the Vancouver Giants. Ron Toygo on the other side. That's all ahead. 754 in the home of hockey. Sportsnet 650. A cup of Joe and the Canuck commute. I'm really curious to see, you know, Ole Ulevi, how he can stay healthy and what kind of player he can be. He was drafted high for a reason. Their potential is there. So the ex expectations are there. So I'm curious to see how that's going to unfold. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. You know, I, we do our segment called, uh, you know, P.S. No B.S. I do wonder sometimes when Bick, we tell everybody it's a five-star morning. If it is, like, it's a five-star show, my friend. But is it a five-star morning? It's nice out. It's supposed to get up to about nine. So considering where we are and it's not raining, sure. I'm giving it four and a half. I'm not going to go five-star. I'd like to see sunshine, 10, go rub it in the face of everybody else in the country. As you look out your window and not do anything with anybody, go, wow, it's really nice here, though. Well, we're not digging ourselves out of snow, so, I, you know. So one thing, hey, we, we've had it before. Before Christmas, sure. we've worried about snow. Yeah, it's, it's been nice that way. Uh, that was Ed Jovanoski you heard. And, uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Perry Solkowski, Vic Nazar, filling in for James Sabalski. And might I say, clock management has been fantastic this week. Normally, we've got some Damon Allen issues. Time count violation. Vic, uh, you've you've been right here with us as we uh, make sure we get it done. Ron Toygo, owner of the Vancouver Giants, will join us momentarily. But Ed Jovanoski was talking there about Olio Levy, and he was talking about a poll question today. We got a great response from you all on Sportsnet 650. Vic, we just want to find out, listen, you, the Vancouver Canucks, to continue to go forward, are going to need breakout years. Like, I think we you just take for granted Hughes is better. Pedersen's better. 
Oh, Horvat's better. But you need someone on the charts to go, wow, that was a big step. So he gave you the options of Thatcher, Demko, and Goal as he gets more pressure on him. Adam got dead, who looks like, okay, last year you wondered if he's making the team. That's not a question, but how much can he add in a third-line center position? Hello, Ole Olevi, you're finally here, and it looks like we're expecting to be on this team. And Zach McCune, you've earned your right to be an NHL player full-time. Right now, 46% of the people leaning like Ed Jovanoski was talking, Vic, that Ole Olevi having a breakout year, which would mean making this team and being a part of it, is what they would like to see. Yeah, see, I, I just feel like that's lofty because, like, breakout to me, like Jake Vertanen last year had a breakout year. The question's always been, is that a career year or is that a breakout year? I, I can't imagine, like, for Ole Olevi, next season is about confirming you can play in this league. And that, to me, is not a standard for breakout season. If Ole Olevi plays... Uh, a bunch of games next year and shows that he's ready to be a full-time NHLer. That that's great for the sake of his career, but as far as what it would be, yeah, yeah, but as far as it being impactful for the Vancouver Canucks next season, that's not a great breakout. That's that that's that's the baseline of what you would expect from Olio Levy. If, if we talk about breakouts, I want to see fifteen goals. I want to see someone that can emerge as a. The other head coach is, is, is telling his players, hey, by the way, we also got to look up for this guy. Well, I look at it differently, and a lot of people have been on this. Um, and the one guy that is there, and I guess it's it's expectations, and he has the lowest number of votes, 3.8%, going to Zach McEwen. My argument is this. Are you, are you really concerned? Do you think at any point in the season, going, you know where the Canucks are screwed and they need a whole bunch of help? Is in goal. I don't. I think Dr. Thatcher Demko is okay. And if he struggles, thank you very much. Throw a Vezina Trophy winner in there. Like, yeah, it was tough to lose Jacob Markstrom, but when that happened, I go, well, yeah, Braden Wolpe. That's okay. That's fine. That's a nice one-two punch, and I don't think that's a concern. Now, Adam Gaudet, I'd love him to break through. But if not, okay, throw Sutter there. Okay, throw Beagle up there. You have someone else who can fill that void. Ole Olevi, I agree. It would be nice for him to be a defenseman, a one of the regular six defensemen, and being there and contributing. But if I want a breakout year, if I want to go, wow, there, here's 15 goals, if somehow, with the biggest void on this hockey team being right wing, if somehow Zach McEwen goes from most improved player in Utica, most improved player in Utica, to back and forth NHL, NHL Utica, to hanging out, getting a couple games in the playoffs, showing some good energy, fighting because he has to, if that guy takes another step, if somehow, some way, and he's showing that he's got a good shot. Yep. If, if he's better skating, if he's worked like a dog and his skating seems a little smoother, to me, I'm going, okay, someone who can have a breakout of those four, it's not expected from Zach McEwen. Give it to me, and we may be going, oh, ho, Alex Burrows, number two. We got a guy who might be a legit NHL player and a big part of this team. Now, the way the poll question is phrased is, who do you hope has a breakout year? So, yeah, I, I understand exactly the, the old Ulevi votes. You, you hope that the, the Canucks start to get a bit of a return on investment on that high draft pick. Who do I think will have a breakout year? This is saying nothing about the other three guys and, and their commitment to the game. It, it's just when you've got that dog-in-the-bone mentality, right? Here's a guy that's undrafted, and, and you mentioned it's, it's progress through the AHL. It's most improved twice named in Utica, and, and even when you're a star player in the AHL, you can still improve, and he did so to get to the NHL, and I just think that that translates to the NHL. It's, it, this is a guy with that worker mentality. He wants to extract everything out of his game, and there's clearly 
some investment from management types. You hear Jim Benning talk glowingly of Zach McEwen. It's this is the type of guy I would be betting on to think, okay, a breakout is coming. Well, and you know what? I would I would take that take that dog in a bone mentality too. That you know, Zach McEwen made sure that when he came here, he was going to take advantage of his opportunity. I think we kind of forget what kind of September and October Adam Gaudet had. And mm-hmm. how this fan base went crazy going, Sven Berchi's not on the team? You kept Gaudet? Adam Gaudet forced their hand. Like, and then when he went down and came back, he's like, well, we can't send him down. And I think, you know, in between all the twitching, like he's hopefully, right, he come, comes here and goes, no, man, I, I think I can be a part of this group rather than, oh, we might have to trade me. I think Adam Gaudet kind of has that same mentality that he thinks he's an NHL player that is going to continue to, to make some money, get bigger contracts, and say, I can play in this league. Oh, absolutely. I wasn't taking anything away from those guys. It's nope. just, uh, you're, you're right. Goddard's got that, might be like a Northeastern thing where we're, you know, that part of the country where, where he's got that mentality of, I've got to keep grinding. I've got to keep going after it. That, that feistiness is yeah. it definitely resides in him, too. Yeah. How do you like them apples? Right. I mean, he's, he, <laughs> He's got that. He's got that Boston mentality. And I think that's perfect, right? You want a Gaudet. You you want a, a McEwen to go, man, you, you got to have that fight. So uh, we'll see if, if we can get there with those two. But anyways, there's our poll question. Keep it going. Great participation this morning. Who would you like for a breakout year? Now, some people would just like to have a year. And that brings us to the Vancouver Giants and their owner, Ron Toygo, who joins us this morning. Hi, Ron. How are you? Good. Good morning, guys. How are you doing today? Well, yeah, I was talking earlier when the show started is maybe subliminal messaging because we were trying to get you on the show. And then when Mike English confirmed you're on four hours later, we're thinking what we're having for dinner. I said, we should have some white spot today. So it's funny how it works, that's, right? Had a nice meal last thing, night. <laughs> uh, listen, we probably had you on a couple months ago and there was hope, but you had to wait. And I guess it's the sad thing that here we are in the middle of December and I don't know, has it changed at all as far as junior hockey? There's a lot of hope, but you still have to wait, don't you? Yeah, I think what the only thing that's changed is uh, more losses have piled up. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it it, it is a, a scenario virtually all walk of life is dealing with and um, every business is dealing with it. Uh, you know, the, the catastrophic impact on small businesses across this province is something that you know we're, we're going to feel for many many years to come and and junior hockey is is just one of those uh that are caught up in it and uh aside from the economic side of it uh we've got a bunch of players uh that are uh have devoted you know they're, they haven't had long lives but they're you know a big part of their lives have been all focused on uh being a hockey player and chasing a dream and um to lose uh, a year in that cycle can be uh, devastating to to careers, and um, so we just, you know, we feel it's an obligation on our part to to deliver a season at some point in time, uh, for however n- many number of games it is, um, to make sure that that we don't um, impede in that development of, of where these kids are headed. Is is that where your first thought goes? Obviously, Ron, it just it, it's it's. You know, junior hockey is so woven into our culture here as Canadians, and it's such a community feel because everyone puts so much work together for these players. And you provide this opportunity, and just you want to get it going. It just it, it's so tough right now, and, and and I imagine your heart just goes out for all these players. Well, it does, and uh, you know, and and 
you know, they're kids. They 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 they're constantly asking, well, when are we going? What's next? What do we do? And uh, and it's and unfortunately, we don't have a lot of answers. And uh, so all we can do is support the best we can. Um, I'll, I'll I'll say that you know we we've got a a very good program. Uh, whenever we're able to go, that we've worked through with Hockey Canada on how to operate with this pandemic that we believe is safe and sound. And um, whenever, um, you know, Bonnie Henry and company give, give us the green light to, to get going at some point in time, I believe we will. And, uh, you know, as these vaccines start to roll out, uh, the further you push into spring, the more likely it is that uh, things will open up and, and we'll be able to deliver. But um yeah, it, it is. It's um, you know, and the economic impact for the province. I think junior hockey generates you know north of seventy million dollars annually. For, you know, when we're taking all the communities with the BCHL and the Western Hockey League, so it is an important component from that side as well. But you know, as you said, it's the players uh, first and foremost that we have an obligation to to deliver on and 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 try to. Um, facilitate that and uh, I, I honestly believe that we will and uh, just a matter of when not not if uh ron toigo joining us ron there was a board of governors call yesterday you know we we heard from gary bettman today and he goes wow we were hoping in the middle of january if they can I, I think because of the economics and the business side of the nhl they'll play in and maybe maybe they've got to wait till february how do you guys work on a possible schedule like how quickly uh, when you have that call, you go, okay, here's a scenario. Maybe we could go February 1st. Do you have the ability and people working with the scenario A, B, and C right now whenever you possibly get a green light? Really, we're, we're really driven by um, the health component of it and, and, and the guidelines on how we can operate. Um, it's, um, you know, we're, we're looking at operating without fans and the economics of that, which is, you know, devastating, but it's still something we have to look at um, to deliver on the other side of it, our player obligations and when we can go and, and what type of season. But again, we're, we're really you know at the mercy of the pandemic like everybody else. And um, whatever we do, we don't want to go through a process where you start up and then you stop because there's a bunch of cases and, and then you hope, you know, then you have to, to start all over again and then jeopardize everything that you did in the first place. So, Whenever we get going, we want to make sure that uh, we're, we're as sound as possible, that once we get going, we can finish what we start. And so, you know, the, the evolution of the vaccine is going to probably play a big role in that, on what the timing is. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a different world we're in. And, uh, and so as far as what the dates are, I don't, I don't have any idea right now. Um, but... Uh, you know, is there a chance, though, Ron, you could run out of time? Like, I, economically, no one's making money in this. And as yeah. you've said, and you've told us before, if you guys play, it's because of these kids. So they can play some hockey. But at some point, do you go, if it's March and April, is there a, is there a time on the calendar that's just, it's too far past? Uh, personally, I don't, I don't, I mean, March and April, I don't think it's too far. But, you know, if you're talking August and july that's probably too far gone but uh i don't um that, that's a good question and i wish i had an answer for it uh but at some point uh, we are going to have we are going to come to that conclusion but uh i don't believe um we will i think uh, i think somewhere in the spring there's going to be a time where this thing is actually going to start to work um 
And, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's the vaccines is, is really what's going to drive a lot of this. And, you know, the more people that are, you know, that they're taking care of, the more uh, health care workers that are taking care of, the more, you know, they, they get into the long care homes and start vaccinating those people and the death rate starts coming down. Then I think people look at things a different way. Things will start to open up and uh, on all walks of life, not not just this. And I think things will start to get better. I honestly think that, um, you know, this is probably the worst point we're at right now uh, with, with the death rates we're dealing with on a daily basis. But, you know, I, it's, uh, I, I'd, I'd like to think we've been through the worst and uh, we'll uh, be talking about hockey in a few months. Is there a fair number of games? It might be unfair to ask, but is there a fair number that you, you hope to achieve pending whatever the start date is to give these players a chance to, you know, showcase themselves to the pros or just give them the opportunity to play? Um, personally, I, I'd like to see, you know, a minimum of 30 games. And just, just because I just think that gives, uh, you know, with the number of teams, we're, we're going to be operating strictly in our province whenever we get going anyways. Um, so, you know, with 30 games, I think, you know, it, it gives enough games between each other. It gives enough sample for the guys to develop. It's, it probably gives you a season of about two and a half months and maybe three months when they throw some playoffs in there. And and I think that's a fair shake. I mean, the Major League Baseball did a two, two-month season. So, um, you know, if we can do something along those lines, I think it's a, it's a, it's a reasonable development year for the players and, uh, and, and things can continue on and, get back to normal next year uh we had jeff merrick on yesterday ron uh and just very plugged into the to the chl and and we know when Port- portland was sold the winter hawks were sold um and jeff said he's hearing a lot of rumblings at least out in ontario he goes there's always been a lot of nhlers that have kind of been kicking the tires and some already in on the leagues um he thought there would be a a fair number of sales unfortunately because of uh, the economic impact that it, this has had on some people. Would you agree with that sentiment that we may see some junior teams across the country uh, find new ownership groups because of the economic impact? Oh, I think the fallout, um, you know, I, I think that uh, at some point there's going to have to be some government support for these things to, to survive. And uh, and without that, I think you're going to see failures across the country from tier two to, to a, you know, major junior to junior B to all levels of it, uh, that, that would, it, it's inevitable. I mean, you can't, you can't, uh, operate. And basically, you know, we lost the, the end of last season. And so we were all right from our perspective, our team, we were already down half a million dollars when the season ended because we didn't get the last home, home games in, which is where you start to break even. Well, all these things are more or less designed to break even if everything goes right. And then if you get a run in the playoffs, you, you can um, recover some of the money. But most teams in generally, um, not just the Western Hockey League, the BCHL across the board, these teams, people don't get into this to, to, to make a living, per se. It's, it's something, you know, you're more, uh, you, you like the competitive side of it. You like the community involvement it does. You like all the, with it, but as far as economics go, these aren't great models from an economic perspective. Now, now take it where you take all the revenue away, but keep most of the expenses. It's not a good scenario for any business. So, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, 
And you might not see it this year, but it might take a year or two where a lot of these things will come to fruition, and uh, and it's not going to be a pretty picture. Well, Ron, we appreciate the time. Um, you know, we know your love for the sport and uh, and the kids so they can play. And let's just hope, uh, you know, these are the darkest of times and that light is at the end of the tunnel. And uh, you can get, we well, may not get people in the building, but I know if you can get at least the kids on the ice so they don't think like this is a complete, complete lost year, uh, that at least would be one positive. Thanks for this. Appreciate it. My meal was great yesterday at White Spot. Uh, we'll do it again, I'm sure, soon. Uh, take care of yourself and stay safe for the holidays. That's great, guys, and uh, Merry Christmas to everybody, and uh, Happy New Year, and uh, we're certainly looking forward to this. But, uh, stay safe through the holidays, and uh, let's look forward to 2021. Exactly. Thank you, Ron. Uh, Thanks, there he is, Ron Toygo, uh, owner of the Vancouver Giants. There's, you know... Uh, Bick, you know, we've talked to Ron. We'd have Bruce Hamilton on from Kelowna. At the end of the day, there are some small towns that live and die with the Western Hockey League teams that are having some really tough calls. And I think if they don't get back on the ice, you're going to see a change of ownership. Are you going to see maybe a couple of teams that just won't be around next year? Yeah, absolutely. And it's unfortunate to see because, you know, Ron does a great job of laying it out there. It's Nobody really gets into it for finance. No right it's you want to build a community spirit revolving around hockey and supporting these kids and it takes so many volunteers and so many it takes a lot of people sacrificing to put it on billets families and everything it's just uh when we're talking about you know we're a sports station here we, we spend a lot of time talking about the canucks and all, all the professional impacts but there's a massive amateur impact uh that happens here and it's it's sometimes it goes overlooked when the you know the future of sports is is kind of being impacted as well yeah so we uh we wait and see what happens with the vancouver giants but uh, board of governors meeting obviously they got to move their date maybe they do it in february i think at some point how much can you play can you play hockey in, in march and in april yeah I, I think the sentiment would be that they would like to uh as we like to do at one point and usually around the 820 mark because that's when she says it is the budger Sonia Aslam joining us for everything that's new. Do we not have a little law and order? I always like that to be beginning and end it. But really? No, it's more of an ending of the segment kind of thing, isn't it? There you go. Oh, on top of it today. Yeah, well, we screamed at him off. <laughs> Did you go Tom Cruise on them? No, that video is amazing, though. If anyone hasn't watched or found the Tom Cruise audio online, please take a listen. Yeah, it's very good. And you know what? There's a well, lot of people who are like, I yes. don't disagree. He lost his we'll mind. We'll get a little bit. Well, you know what? Let's play it now. We'll, we'll play it again a little bit tomorrow. We're going to hold it. Balak said he has it there. Do the guys have it there? This is Tom Cruise going off on the set, right? Yeah. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. I have told you, and now I want it. And if you don't do it, you're out. We are not shutting this movie down. <laughs> so that's an excerpt from Tom Cruise's movie starring Renee Zellweger. That's a scene. It yeah. sounded like a scene, didn't it? 
No, it didn't. It sounded like he was mad, like he is pissed off. And you know what? There's a lot of people online, and I kind of don't disagree. Yeah, it doesn't look good for him to be dropping F-bombs and screaming at the staff. I get it. But people on, like, the crew have broken. uh, He's shooting Mission Impossible, I don't know, 94. And it's like their crew have had to stop so many times because people keep breaking COVID protocols. And I get the anger. Can you stop? Can you just stop breaking the rules? Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Incredible audio. My favorite tweet from yesterday was uh, like a, a a quote from his A Few Good Men speech. It's like, and when it went bad, he cut those guys loose. <laughs> Accurate. <Yeah. laughs> hey, well, it sounds like he's acting. It's real. We took out the party. He goes, if you're going to party, go to Big White. Go to Big White party. No. <laughs> no, you know what, though? He did make a decent point where it's like, you know, people's lives or some people's lives are on the line. They, they need the money from these shoots to keep food on the table. Every industry has been impacted around the world. So, yeah, and I know it's Hollywood. There's a lot of money flowing. I get it. But it's not about Hollywood producers. It's about crew members and the staff who do all the work behind the scenes who need this job to keep their head above water. Like, I, I, part of me kind of gets it. It's, it's, it's the stupidity is amazing, right? Oh, like, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Here's, here's the deal. You haven't worked for a long time because of the scenario. Yeah. Hey, awesome news, everybody. Um, you're, you're going to work again. I have several cousins that are in the, in the, in the movie business at, at very high rates and, you know, talking to them when this started, they thought, yeah, we might get back to it sooner. And they did, but the amount of testing they had to go through, is like, well, that's what we do. It's like, if you're going to commute to work, you're going to have to commute. If you're going to have to get tested to work and wear a mask, that's what you're going to have to do, Sonia. Like you said, if you're going to put food on the table, here's the new rules. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't like it, as Cruz says, then get off the set and get lost because there's a there's a thousand people who'd line up behind you and say, I'll do it. Yeah. The audio itself, there's about two and a half minutes and repeatedly he's very blunt and like, if you don't follow the rules, you're fired. Like, I don't care. I'm past apologies. I don't care. We're done. There are no more. Oh, I just meant to. Oh, I just sort of I don't care. I don't care anymore. It's done. You break the rules once and you're fired. Like there is the no tolerance policy, which Man, I wish we'd done that in this province months ago. That would have been great. People may have followed the rules a little bit more. You told us about uh, a story the other day at uh, Big White. What's the latest there? So, yeah, yesterday I think we broke. Um, it was, no, two days. I, You know what? I can't remember. I've lost track. Yeah, you're right. A couple of days ago, it was one case confirmed up at Big White. There was a party with about 20, 25 people about two weeks ago on November 28th. They've been doing testing since Friday. That one case, we now found out, is actually 60 cases. 6-0 at Big White near Kelowna. That's how many confirmed cases we have right now. Testing and contact tracing is still going on. There's a bunch of people in self-isolation. And, um, you know, this is what happens when you have a party in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. And I really held back going Tom Cruise there. Yeah, uh, wait, wait an Uncle Tom Cruise. Who yeah. would you like to have a breakout year? Zach McEwen, yeah. Ole Levy, Thatcher Demko, or Adam Gaudet? I want to say Gaudet. He's played really well. It's kept going. He's kept his momentum up in the last little bit. And I think I think this could be his year to really push past it. He works hard. You know, he's not, I don't I never think of him as that player that sort of just hits the ice and sort of just mails it in you know just because your name's not up on the scoreboard doesn't mean that you're not contributing and i think he does that game in and game out uh, i'll yeah. try to have some good news uh some good stuff for first responders 
Yeah, so Starbucks Canada, they are, if you are or you know a first responder that's a nurse, a doctor, a paramedic, a police officer, a firefighter, you can get a free tall coffee in any Starbucks. Um, you just have to show your badge or some authorized, you know, ID that you are who you say you are and you get a free coffee. And this is just as a thank you for being on the front lines during this pandemic. They've handed out more than two million uh, free coffees in the last couple of months and they're going to keep doing it for the next little bit. Oh, nice move. Nice I'm not move. a coffee drinker, but man, Starbucks and the eggnog latte right now, so you strong. You don't drink coffee? No, I don't drink coffee. What? I know Greg's like yeah. shaking his head. He's also rolling I his don't... eyes heavily. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, that's because wow. we're late on the clock. No, I don't drink coffee. Oh, Thanks, wow. Budger. Appreciate it. Hey, no worries. Thanks, guys. Do the music. By the way, we call Sonia Aslam Budger because on social media last week, she had mentioned that uh, she was in a grocery store and someone said, hey, you budged in front of me. And uh, she said, oh, sorry. And the person said, you're a budger. So there you go. Her nicknames were born. Uh, remind everybody, uh, that segment brought to you by Langley's newest auction, Urban Auctions, has hundreds of items to bid on at fantastic prices. Bid right now online at urbanauctions.ca. Free of charge, Ed Jovanovsky joins us at 7 o'clock. A great story as to what Jovo did on a regular basis every night after a TV timeout. We'll give you the goods ahead. You're listening to the Home of Hockey at Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back, 8:32 on a Wednesday morning. Perry and Vic here. Uh, lots of people, Vic, chiming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650, getting into our conversation uh, that we've kind of had all morning in our poll question. Wondering, um, you know, who do you want as a Vancouver Canuck fan to have a breakout year? The options we gave you, Thatcher, Thatcher Demko, Ole Olevi, uh, Zach Mikuin, or Gaudette. Um, You know, a lot of people, um, Claude saying, you know, I hope that Benning doesn't give third or fourth line players like McEwen lofty contracts unless the cap increased significantly. I don't know if Claude's got that tongue in cheek. I think those days are gone. And and as much as we have sat and go, wow, why would you give that kind of money to third line and fourth line guys? Hey, the need was there, Pick. The need was there at a time where there was really no leaders on this team and you knew the Sedins were going. And honestly, yeah, we could sit and you lament the, the contract Sutter had. And, you know, maybe Jay Beagle's role is lessened if Adam got death, continues to push forward. But you needed him at the time. And now everything will be adjusted in two or three years' time to go, hey, our top-end guys are getting paid the big money, and we filled their bottom six with guys that are at the price point that you need in the NHL. You hope there's a seamless transition, right? Yeah, there was a need at the time. Uh, did you have to give an extra year? Did you have to give an extra 500 k Whatever it is. I, the, the complaints are valid, and the complaints are real, and it's hamstrung them at times. But now you got to facilitate flushing out the dollars in there and – rewarding by via ice time and with you know stable cost control contracts i look at like a tyler mott deal 
that's one that's like a one year or sorry, two years, 1.25. That makes a lot of sense. That's how you want to spend effectively in your bottom six. Zach McEwen's got two years at 8.25. That's how you want to do this. Don't get caught in the trap of having to bring outsiders in to overpay for those roles. You know, and it's going to be a short season. And the next thing you know, Sutter's contract is gone. You've got other options that are gone. You know, Jordy Ben is finished. So this short season, uh, you, you get a little closer and it happens at the right time to go, okay, we need some money for Pedersen. We need some money for Hughes. So uh, I don't think you're going to look at like that. Uh, Jacob and Surrey says, I'd say playing 80% of the games would fall under that category for you, Levy. I don't believe putting a certain amount of points would be fair for him. Uh, he goes on to but more. I, I think Ole Olevi, you were, you're not looking at Ole Olevi, what has he contributed? You may look at a plus minus. You're looking, is Ole Olevi in the lineup? And if he is, there's a win. If he's in the lineup for 80% of the games, he, he's an NHL defenseman. And he's a young NHL defenseman that, as long as his body stays healthy, may be a fixture in this lineup. Maybe not what they wanted as to where they drafted him, but he, if, if he's a fixture in this lineup for the next five or six years, that's a win. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's a win for five or six years. We're talking about breakout player for this upcoming season. Health yeah. is a a prerequisite, and if he continues to pile up the injuries, well, that's you know, the, just staying in the lineup does not determine breakout for for Olio Levy. If he's going to have a breakout year, I, I know his game is understated, or you know that that's how it gets sold. If he's going to have a breakout year, you better be you know the best third pairing D man that uh, the league has seen. Uh, we got into this conversation with Ed Jovanovski. We actually started, we were talking about the NBA and the max deal that uh, was signed by Giannis in, in Milwaukee and staying there. And we asked Eddie, Hey, when it comes to numbers and dollars in the NHL, uh, you know, what do you think about that for players? If something like that happened to a guy in the NHL? Well, the, the top guys, you, you know, but you, you don't know any, uh, you know everyone's salary it's not something that i personally the guys who make more than you you know but nobody below you is that telling me <laughs> no I'm, I'm just saying like you have a group of and it's obviously no secret everybody knows but you have your top guys that you kind of know where they are in the group i i think the guys you know that are kind of fall behind that yeah it's it's not something that you're kind of looking at to the scent on on what these guys are are making but Honestly, I think you nailed it, Perry. I, I, I don't think hockey players, they don't really care kind of what guys, you know, you have a $10 million player um, going out to dinner with a guy making 700 grand and, and the conversation is about just kind of everything but I think salaries, you know? So yeah. it's, it's not something that, you know, in hockey, and I, I don't know, I can't speak for other sports, you know, how it is, but when, when you sign a Supermax deal at 228, um, I got to believe that you're expected to cover every meal during the season on the road. I, 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 I think that's just a <laughs> human nature. It's like, if you're going to complain about somebody, complain about the rich, right? You know, you right. always, you're always aware of what the top guy makes. It's like, you're making $6 million and you can't do this. It, 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 Perry's the same for us. I always tell C-Max like Perry's doing this and I'm getting barely, you know, ba barely getting paid here. Look at all yeah, the work I do. It's funny because you know, I came in the league as an 18 year old and, uh, you know, being a top pick, my, my contract was, uh, was a nice one for, for a teenager. And I don't know where I, I stood on, on, on the list in, in Florida as far as, but I was the top three, I believe top four, you know, Beezer, you got Mel and B there, but still when I went on the road, 
I never covered anything. You know, the older guys that were making less, they just felt that it was, hey, listen, we're going to take this young guy under a wing and we're going to we're going to treat him to a couple beers and pick up dinner here and there. And it's something that I kind of, you know, took and I, you know, passed it along too. I said, you know, hey, listen, I'm lucky in a situation where, you know, I'm well paid and take a couple young guys and and make sure they never take out their credit card on the road. And mm-hmm. You know, so did you run into, I never asked you this. Did you run into a rookie dinner that you can remember that you had to pull up the credit card? Well, it's funny in my rookie year in, uh, you know, in Florida, we actually had our rookie meal in, in Vancouver and we actually had it in West Vancouver at a restaurant that I pretty frequently went to, um, it was right on the water. Uh, you know, I forget the name of it, but it was a joke. I mean, I I think we were like 6,000 each, each rookie at, at the time. Um, but I've been a part of a, a rookie meal where it was uh, pretty lucrative and, you know, we helped out, <laughs> you know, you guys did for, help out. Yeah, we did help out. Yeah. It was just, it got a little bit out of control and, uh, got you got a, a number for me. Uh, yeah, it was, it was North of 40. Oh, Really? You know, yeah, you know, when you late night and you're ordering ordering bottles of Screaming Eagle and and this and that. But hey, listen, if if that's all it is in hockey, where guys can go out there and really have a good night and enjoy good wine and and a good meal, um, and guys are willing to hey, listen, hey, the bill got a little out of control. Let's grab a few guys and uh, we'll cover you know half of this bill. Do you, but do you look at the rookie's face, Eddie, when they get the bill, just so you can enjoy that momentarily? Why the rookie's face? They're making more than some of the guys are. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, gone are the rookie days, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I mean, especially these top guys coming in with their, you know, their their rookie deals and uh, their off ice uh, endorsement money and this and that. But listen, I, I think when you every time, anytime you have an opportunity to to keep things calm and and not make someone really uncomfortable, um, you're willing to help. Uh, Ed Jovanovski joins us as he does every Wednesday. We're, it's, it's almost like asking recall, and I know you didn't play in this game, but I know Mike sent it to you. Uh, this, on this day in history, December 16th, six years ago, your Florida Panthers were in the longest shootout in NHL history. Uh, Braden Holpley in goal for Washington, Roberto Luongo yeah. for Florida. What, 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 with an injury? Is that what you remember? You weren't in the game. I what I wasn't in the game. I, I'm trying to remember if I was even on the team. What year was that? Four. Well, our producer Mike Inglis said you were there in 2014. Were you there? Oh, well, I was. I was definitely hurt. <laughs> 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 that that was that was 38 at the time. I was definitely hurt. Um, yeah, yeah. That was that was. Uh, I I remember. I remember. I remember the shootout. It was crazy. And I, I've been a part of one where I believe I was the 11th shooter. We we're in, in Phoenix and I just bury it right in Jose Theodore's glove and we're neighbors now. And I always, <laughs> I always, I always, he's like, why did you give me an extra jab there? You know, I shot in his glove and I gave him an extra jab thinking that possibly he could go in after the fact. But um, I had a couple breakaways in, in my career that I've scored on, but you got too much time to think about it during the shootout. So I really respect the guys that have a good batting average in the uh, in the shootout. Did you only have one shootout? 
I only had one. I yeah. I obviously been a part of many that went the distance, but I, I think the coaches kind of shy away from from a lot of the defensemen. But uh, when you see when you do see a defenseman go in there, usually scores because he just goes in there and kind of picks a corner and keeps it simple. So uh, you see that around the league, especially one guy comes to mind is uh, Victor Hedman, is a guy that uh, regularly scores in a shootout. Hey, we were uh, reacting to it yesterday and uh, wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, the Monday night football game did that uh, safety uh, play play a role in in anything you were uh, picking on for? Uh... Monday night? No, it didn't. It didn't. Sometimes, <laughs> really? some, sometimes you just got to buy the hook, you know. <laughs> you know, but yeah, what a what a crazy what a crazy finish. And, and then that game was seesawing so you know so much during the game that you know the 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 money line was always kind of in check. So it's something that I kept hitting the button on the, the money line, you know. To but it was a it was a crazy game. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Uh, what did I, Lamar? What did Lamar Jackson really leave for, though? So he's claiming cramps, right? And uh, he he's he's not claiming there was any Luongo esque incident, right? Well, here's a story. Here's a story for me, and, and all the guys that that I that played with me would, uh, you know, could, you know, could say verify. that this is yeah, verify that this is this is true. So after every first. TV timeout. I always ran to the bathroom to go to go pee. You know, it's one of those things that is just first TV timeout. Guys would be like, "Where's Jovo going?" You know, but it always, you know, the first TV timeout, especially at home where we had access, we didn't have to come across the ice. You know, I had to go to the bathroom. It was just one of those things that, um, you know, that was my the routine. Career. Like you're talking that every was, game. That was the routine. Whether I had to go or not, I just had to go try. <laughs> really. And it started at, at, as a rookie or when you were a comfortable veteran going, here's my routine now? Uh, good question. It, it probably didn't happen early on, but it was something that for, for a long time, um, you know, first TV timeout, I would, would uh, run over to the bathroom. You know, when you got to go, you got to go. Uh, season ticket holders in Vancouver and Arizona and Florida who arrive late to games, Bick. And get the okay. You can go to your seats now. There's a TV timeout. How many have sat by and looked at the Florida Panthers bench or an Arizona bench or even a Canucks bench? Said, "Sure, Jovo not playing today. He's not on the bench." Now you know where he was. I, I'm trying to think of okay how we watch and report on the games now. We you know we sit there on press row and guy goes down the tunnel and we tweet it out immediately. You know, Perry, if you were on press row back then, yeah. you know, oh two, oh three, oh four, were you uh, you know? Well, there goes Jovo down the tunnel again. He must, uh, something must be up. Equipment yep. or injury. Equipment problem. He's back. Yeah. And then when do you not figure out, oh, Jovo left again together. Equipment. Pro- like, I'm surprised that no one knew that story that he said, I did it every home game. Yeah. Uh, there you go. We're up against it. Some uh, final thoughts ahead of us. Bick and Perry on the home of hockey. Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Countdown is underway. Actually, uh, Bick, I sent some Christmas music uh, to Balak thinking that, you know, we could maybe play this at some point. I, 
I'm not going to say what it was. I question whether I'll get it before. Uh, well, this is the best Christmas song anyways, so it's fine. Yeah. Julian Casablancas, let's go. We can uh, we can have an array of Christmas music as we come on. Hey, I want to remind everybody we are talking about the max contract in Milwaukee for Giannis Hoopsar. Back to Countdown to Tip Off is brought to you by Denny's. Got a holiday turkey, speaking of Christmas, for four. Dinner for four, $59.99. Visit denny's.ca. Hey, uh, you hear Kent Priestley all the time. We have him on the Mr. Fix-It segment on Wednesdays, and then that commercial uh, talking about then Yager said. Uh, Ken joining us and then doing his bit at Dunbar Lumber. Yager still playing hockey. News today, Yarmer Yager suiting up tonight for Gladno, which he owns in the Czech Elite League game. I guess a legitimate league game, and he's still Yager's putting on the pads. And if you're trying to do the math, you're thinking, okay, Yager, you know, played in the 90s. How old is he right now? 48 years old and playing really? a game. Yeah, he owns them, but you know what? I, I I thought he got a raw deal when he left. I thought he was fine that last season in Calgary. Yeah, he's not an NHL player, but you don't think everybody in that room is absolutely – they're going to talk about this day for the rest of their lives. Oh, for oh, sure. Yager played and came and played. He just, yeah. you know, as he aged, he still had the the, the smarts. He, you know, the, the latter half of his, of his career was never about speed. It's just about you know puck protection. I'm just bigger, and I know where the puck needs to go. Man, I I, I would definitely pay the price of admission if we were allowed to to go watch that. And and all those stories of Yager and, and why he's playing now, you know, you can take it back. He loved to play. Like, he was that workout guy. He just loved to play the game of hockey. And if you have that much talent and you have that much love, you, you become a success. You become the ultimate superstar. Uh, Big, do you got the final numbers on our Sportsnet 650 uh, Twitter poll question today? Absolutely. At Sportsnet 650, if you log on, still a couple of minutes to vote. Which Canuck player do you hope has a breakout year? Ole Yalevi running away with it, 45.3% of the vote. Thatcher Demko, a close second, 32. And then got at at 18%. The guy I voted for, the guy we talked about a lot today, Zach McEwen, uh, just 4% of the people voting. Uh, feeling like uh, they have hope for a breakout year. Uh, you know what, Bick? You can pull this back in, in three months when McEwen's already got 15 goals. Go, Listen, I saw it coming, and that's why this team is going the right way. Uh, we are going the way towards the exit door. Scott Riddle will enter for his Scott Riddle show at 9 o'clock. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. Have a great Wednesday. We'll do it again tomorrow morning at 6.